Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. We got a lot to talk about on today's show. We will talk some soccer, we'll talk decency, management, we'll talk with a Timbers midfielder. George Fochive will be joining us here in this hour to talk about playing for the Timbers, changes in the front office. He's doing some good things in the community, too. We'll talk about that. But we'll also visit with Oregon State football coach Jonathan Smith on today's show in the 5 o'clock hour. So I want you here wall-to-wall, tuned in, locked in. We'll talk about a little bit about the games that are coming up this weekend. In the Pac-12, but we got to start with the news of the day. Yesterday, the Portland Timbers, Thorns organizations, in the wake of that horrific investigation and that uncovered their misdeeds and wrongdoings. Yesterday, the organization announced that uh, the owner, Merritt Paulson, would no longer be involved in day-to-day operations with the Thorns. Today, they announced that... President of Business, Mike Golub, and the General Manager, Player Personnel Director, Gavin Wilkinson, are both out. They have been, uh, they have parted ways, so to speak, with the organization. We'll talk to Timbers midfielder, George Fochive, on the show today uh, in the 3 o'clock hour. So I want you here for it if you want to hear what it's like for a player who is involved in all this, uh, trying to navigate this, uh, this circumstance himself. Obviously, I think there are a lot of angry and upset fans, frustrated fans out there. If you want to talk about it, I'm here to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm also here to not talk about it, just depending on uh, you know what you want to do. What I want to say just right up front is, look, I said it earlier in the week, I think the organization needed a clean house. I think that uh, as you look at the report that came out, you know, it, it's hard for me to say that this is the darkest moment for the Timbers organization, the Thorns organization. It's hard for me to say that, that this is the darkest moment. And I hear people saying that. This is, the, this is a low. This is a dark moment. Because in my mind, the dark moments for this franchise happened, you know, five, six, seven years ago, certainly when Coach Paul Riley was on the scene and was mentally and physically abusing players and, and mistreating players. And... I don't I can't imagine what that must have been like for some of the Thorns players to be amid that the betrayal that that is and then I can't imagine the subsequent betrayal by the organization and certainly uh management of the Thorns organization ownership of the Thorns organization as it moved forward so it's difficult for me uh to say that this is the darkest moment I hear people saying oh, this is the low this is a dark moment no this isn't the darkest moment the darkest moments happened in those film sessions and it happened on the road, and it happened where, you know, if you've read the report, uh, it's really disturbing stuff. And, and, and more dark moments followed as the organization 
betrayed players and didn't do the right thing when faced with what was obviously the right thing. Very disappointed. I said that earlier in the week. I'm going to double down on it. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know where the organization pivots from here. I do know that I'm glad that all of this stuff is out and getting sunshine. I wish that this stuff would have been reported in 2015 and 2016 and 2017. Should have been reported, should have been out there. Uh, just wasn't. And it really uh, disappoints me that this went on for so long because I imagine there were players who were involved in the Thorns organization and subsequently the Timbers organization by extension who, who suffered. Uh, and to me... Those moments were dark, probably darker than the moment that we all found out about it. Uh, we're going to have a great show for you today. I want to start today by talking a little bit about this Timbers Thorns thing. Um, I want to also, you know, tell people that you know I I just am, I'm really encouraged by some of those out there. I've received some notes from people who say that you know they're equally disappointed. I know you are as well. I, sports is supposed to be an escape for us. It's supposed to be an escape for you. You're supposed to come to the show. You're supposed to turn to your sports teams, uh, what you know, because they're not like the the rigors of your life. That they're supposed to be, uh, you know, an escape, uh, literally. Like it, you're supposed to be able to, uh, you know, on your lunch hour or uh, on your weekend or with your disposable income on a. Tuesday or Thursday or Wednesday night, turn to your sports teams like the Blazers and the Timbers and the Thorns and the Hops and the Ducks and the Beavers, and they're supposed to serve as an escape from, you know, life, from that bad boss you have, from your neighbors, from, you know, the uh, the worries that you have and all of that stuff. And when the escape itself becomes uh, a place that you need an escape from, um, that it that those are troubling times, but I I certainly am not going to compare that to what the Thorns players went through. So no, this isn't this isn't the darkest moment for the Thorns organization. Not when this went public. The dark moments, the darker moments, were in 2015 and in 2016 as an organization betrayed its players, betrayed the most valuable assets that any organization has, and and betrayed a fan base. Let's fra- let's uh, let's face it. Uh, we got a great show for you. Regardless today, we will serve as an escape. Uh, George Fochive, Portland Timbers midfielder, joining us uh, coming up in about 30 minutes. Uh, later in the program, Jonathan Smith, he'll be with us in the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour, so he'll be there. we got a great punch at audio. Did you guys see Aaron Judge, 62? Did you guys see the whole hullabaloo, the guy who caught the ball? There's a connection to the state of Oregon, all of that stuff. Did you guys see that? I did see that. Yeah, I saw the connection. Uh, I saw the guy jump out of the stands, hoping that they didn't catch the ball, and he got the deflection. I saw it all. It, it pretty crazy. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, you may remember Bree Amarethus, who was on air at Comcast Sportsnet Northwest and covered the Oregon Ducks and did some uh, programming shows here in the state of Oregon. Uh, that was her husband, Corey Humans, who caught the ball. The uh, Fisher Investments vice president who caught the ball. It got me thinking about something. Bree's mother reached out to me this morning. She's a listener of the show and, and said, hey, did you see this? And I said, yeah, I saw it. I was really happy for Bree. I was happy for her husband. But it got me thinking about something. Like, I'm not calling Corey out for this because I feel like, you know, any ball hit into the stands, it's kind of a three flies up situation. But what is proper etiquette 
on a foul ball, home run ball when you're at a ballpark and the ball's in your vicinity? Is it everyone for themselves? Can you can you move over into someone's seating area and step in front of them? Like how what where do you guys stand on that? Yeah, I think it's uh especially for a ball like that. I mean, obviously you don't want to assault somebody, right? Like no th- no punches thrown, nothing like that, but I do think it's kind of a free for all. Like you can get out of your zone a little bit. And, you know, if you can reach over in front of someone, I think it's fair game. I'd prefer that your feet stay uh, stationed in your in your seat, but your arm, you can use your wingspan to reach over and grab the ball. Also, if there's kids around, you know, you you give you give, you know, you give right away to that kid. But it's it's fair game when it comes to a ball like that. That can be worth they're saying two million dollars. Yeah. Did he did Corey humans who was sitting in left field section 31 row one seat three. On Tuesday night, did he violate etiquette in your mind, or was that one okay? I, I think it was okay. I think I think what he did was perfectly fine. Is there footage? Because you know it, it moved so fast, it showed Aaron Judge. I, I didn't really get to see a good video of of Corey catching the ball. I saw it. He moved to his left, and he moved to his left by about ten feet to catch it. But it was like there were other people. There was a lot of movement going on in that section as the ball came down. He kind of. You know, was sitting in that front row area. And by the way, it looked to me like there were a lot of empty seats in that area as the ball went. And, you know, one guy didn't even get up. He's like eating nachos. And, and you know, so I, I think it was fair game the way he played it. He certainly, um, you know, used his body to kind of box out in a basketball-style way to get the ball. But he was definitely at least four seats out of his area to go and get it. And... There were the the poor guy that was in like the ball would have landed in his seat just kind of got crunched by people on both sides as everything came together and this you know but I like that this wasn't like Barry Bonds this wasn't like Sosa and McGuire back in the day and what happened with the dude who just fell over the railings Stephen what happened with that guy I mean he has to have gotten arrested right. Like, well, you can't, what was he trying to do? He was trying to get down there to catch it if there was a deflection? Yeah, I mean, because you saw the people <laughs> collide with each other, just like that the Blue Jays game, right? When Heron Judge hit 61, the ball yeah. hit off the guy's glove and fell down there, went to uh, Matt Bushman, who was their pitching coach. If the ball gets deflected, that guy's down there to get the ball, and it's his. Even if he gets arrested, they, they can't take the ball away from him. So I respect that decision by that guy to say, I'm not going to catch it. I'm going to go for the deflection and hopefully get this you know, $4 million <laughs> ball. You, uh, you you think you're playing a game of three flies up, and and there you go. And and humans is left-handed, so he has to he has to go across his body with his glove. By the way, he brought his glove to the game. Good for him. Yeah. Smart guy. He had a good seat. He was properly seated to possibly get this thing. Yeah, but I don't think that's a know. coincidence. By the way, he works in investments. He has that kind of brain, and he says this is an investment. Buying this seat, left field, front row. I'm going to yeah. catch this ball. I think this was very purposeful by him. I need I need to figure out what that is, but uh, you know, it's really interesting to to know that there's a connection with the state of Oregon. So there we go, Aaron Judge on the board. Um, guys, coming up at three thirty. George Fochive is going to join us, Portland Timbers midfielder. And I tweeted this out. Like, this is against my better judgment. I tweeted out that Fochive is coming on the show. I wonder if the Timbers catch wind of it and tell him not to come on the show. Like, they're going to see that he's coming on the show. Um, he, I will ask him about, you know, Merritt Paulson, the news of the day, all that stuff. He was supposed to come on anyway because prior to all this mess, he's got a – He's got a cool event that's going on, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about it. The guy's an artist, and we're going to talk about his art, but 
we're going to start this interview by talking to him about what's with what's going on with the Timbers. And I just kind of wonder, I tweeted out, he's coming on the show, I kind of wonder if the Timbers PR team will step in front of this one and tell him, hey, no, 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 we don't want you talking about this. Yeah, I mean, because you have to ask those questions, right? Like, yes. that's, that's your job. So, um, you know, it will be interesting to see if he's on or not. I, I hope for everybody that he is because you just want to see – how it's affected the team with all these decisions going down, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll find out. I believe he will be the first player to go on record go, regarding all of this. It'll happen on this show, so uh, he will be joining us coming up here at about three thirty. I want you here for it. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 conference, the Big Twelve, the Pac-12, the Big Ten. They're all at odds with each other. I want to talk about why it is that I think the health of college football relies uh, on all of them sticking around and surviving plus there's some odds some fresh odds out with pac-12 conference championship odds what's the best bet not who's the best team but what's the best bet when it comes to placing a wager on a pac-12 futures bet leave it here you got the bft back to the bald-faced truth with john canzano peter sampson is up next with the pulse from six to seven on 750 the game I wrote today at johnconzano.com about the Big Ten. They're coming after the Pac-12 again. Not coming after programs. They already poached a couple of Pac-12 schools. Turns out that the Big Ten may want some of the Pac-12's top football officials. Representatives of the Big Ten have made some inquiries into uh, possibly hiring away a couple of the Pac-12's football officials. I talked to several officials in the last week. And one of the officials is telling me that with UCLA and USC coming into the conference, the Big Ten conference, they're going to need some crews in the Pacific time zone. Told me if the Pac-12 is not careful, they'll take the best we've got. Now, I wrote that story, plus about another 1,500 words on the subject of officiating, and very quickly a lot of Rodney Dangerfield jokes circulating a lot of fans going at you know take the take our officials take them away but the bottom line is they wouldn't be taking the bad officials they'd be taking the good officials and that's not what the pac-12 needs i also talked to multiple officials who nobody's allowed to, to make a comment at you know with attribution on the record right they would get reprimanded by the pac-12 but i had one official tell me that he wants you yeah, you out there, Pac-12 fan, wants you to know, quote, we aren't going to be perfect, but the conspiracy theories are way, way off base. We just want to get the call correct, end quote. Now, I found out two Saturdays ago that the officials working Washington State's home game against Oregon, we all know they lost track of downs, but I found out what happened behind the scenes. I had a Pac-12 uh, official who had a look at the written report that was submitted by the officials after the game, the source told me that it was a quote-unquote systemic breakdown. wasn't just the officials on the field who made an error. One mistake was the digital down markers. You know the down markers that we used to have to flip? If you ever worked on the chain gain, you had to flip the markers. You guys ever worked on a chain gain, Steven, Sean? Either uh, yeah, one of you? I did yeah. when I was in high school. Uh, you know, I didn't play football 
And so as a basketball player, we had to help out. And so, yeah, I was part of the chain gang there. Yeah, I haven't been on the chain gang, but I've led the chain gang, like, as the um, as the sideline judge. Okay. So, here, you know, that it used to be that you physically had to turn from first down to second down, from second down to third down. You'd flip it over. It was a process. Now they have digital down markers. So they just press a button, and it goes from one to two to three to four, and then back to one. Well, apparently it was first down. Cam Ward was called for intentional grounding. And the for some inexplicable reason, the down marker individuals who were on the field, while the referees were talking about the penalty and signaling loss of down, they switched from second down to third down when they heard loss of down. So the mistake was, like, they saw first down go, they flipped to second down, then they heard the officials say, you know, it's a penalty and it's loss of down. They went, oh, they lost second down. So the yard marker, or excuse me, the down, uh, digital down marker individuals accidentally flipped to three when it should have been two. The crew on the field saw it per the report that was given to the Pac-12. They were confused. And the referee, I am told, checked with the Pac-12 official who's in the press box in the on-site replay booth and said, what down is it? Now, the Pac-12 official who was in the booth in the press box is a retired official, older gentleman. Um, I don't know his name, but he is an older gentleman. He is retired. He's sitting up in the box. He's watching the game. He's just there for this exact kind of moment. But when he was asked by the referee on the field, what down is it, what do you think he did, guys? He looked at the marker. He looked at the marker like we would all do, and he saw a three, and he went, I got three. I got third down. So he reiterated the mistake. So there's two. Now you got two things that are wrong. Now, I didn't put this in the piece today, but here's the third thing that went wrong. Anybody who's ever been a referee at a football game knows you have a rubber band on your hand, it goes around your wrist, and then the officials will put the rubber band over one of the fingers, like the pointer finger on their first hand on first down, and then they'll move it over to the middle finger, then they'll move it over to the ring finger, and that that's how they keep first, second, third down on the field. So it's kind of like a backup. Well, the referee in his report, I'm told, wrote that he now had the distance, the down marker, saying three. He had the official in the box telling him it was third down. He was looking down at his hand. He had moved it from one to two when he thought, the mistake has got to be me. These other people think, they think it's third down. Why do I have second on my hand? So he went with what he thought was the right thing, the two people on the field that were telling him it was third down. So subsequently... They, he double-checked, and he said, we need to call the command center in San Francisco and ask him what down it is. So they hesitated a little bit, and anybody who was listening to the game knows there was a little delay there before Washington State ran a play and then ultimately had to punt on what, should, what was third down. Um, but they did not get in contact with the command center. So four breakdowns, uh, if you count them. It was the down marker. It was the official up in the booth who looked at the down marker instead of knowing what down it was. And it was the referee on the field who moved the rubber band and, and questioned himself a little but went with everybody else. 
And then it was the command center. It was the fourth thing. They couldn't get in touch with the command center. So Washington State punts the ball away, TV timeout. Subsequently, the command center gets up to speed, and they, re they regain contact. And the command center then says, hey, it, Washington State got host. Like, it, it should have, they got one more play to run. Now, I'm told that the crew and other officials around the Pac-12 just are sick about this. Never should have happened. Four safeguards, all failed, and they were sick about it. But the problem was, you know, and I had maintained what they should have done is gone back and go, look, we screwed up, and we told you it was third down and when it was really second down, and you ran a third down play. Because it's a much different play on third and 16 than it is on second and 16. On third and 16, Washington State ran a run play. On second and 16... You know, you might try to run about an 8- or 10-yard pass play and give yourself a manageable third down. But uh, because they had run a play and then punted, by rule, they could only go back to the change of possession and give Washington State, you know, another play. They couldn't erase the third down play, so to speak. They could only erase the punt. So they said, look, we can only go back one play and we can give you another third and 16. I had maintained... They should have gone back two and said, hey, we screwed up. You thought it was third and 16. You ran a third and 16 play. We should go back. It really was second and 16, if people are tracking me here, and go back. But the official said, you know, and the officials that I talked to all said, we were all sick about it because we realized that crew was hosed. They were in a bad position. Like, they tried to unwind the sequence, but they couldn't go back to second down. They could only go back and say, hey, we're going to give you another third down which to me is ridiculous. Like, if you're going to go back, just go all the way back to second down and say, look, we screwed up, we'll fall on the sword here. But the bigger picture is this. There's some concern, A, about the Big Ten coming and poaching some officials. Two, there's some concern about David Coleman, the supervisor of officials in the Pac-12. He's a really nice guy. I've talked to him. We've had him on the show. He's a former Army officer. But when you look at his resume, guys, there's no other major college conference that would have hired him as the coordinator of officiating. He has almost no on-field experience in major college football. Two FBS games he's ever officiated. He was a linesman for two games in the Mid-American Conference, and they weren't good games. So you got a guy who's the supervisor of officials who has almost no on-field experience. Now his resume, he says, you know, he was the replay official in the Super Bowl and all this stuff. He was. He was in the replay booth as an assistant during a Super Bowl. But I think they have a problem with the supervisor officials being not qualified. I think they got a minor league pipeline problem because the Pac-12 has, you know, in volleyball and basketball, they have a consortium with the Big Sky and the Mountain West where the officials sort of move from the Big Sky to the Mountain West and the Pac-12. You don't, have, you don't have these problems in basketball because you get officials who are trained. They know the league. They know the rules. You're familiar with them. They're familiar with each other. They kind of just move them through the system. But in football, they don't have that. I didn't put this in the piece, but I had one official tell me that the officials that the Pac-12 gets from Conference USA, and I didn't put this in because I didn't think it was fair to write it and have it out there, but the officials that – come from Conference USA to the Pac-12, there have been a couple. I had an official tell me that they are garbage, that they have to be retrained when they get into the Pac-12. So there's a real issue with getting qualified officials 
getting them trained, keeping them in the system, identifying who are good officials season to season because you have no minor league system. I called Tom Wistersill, the Big Sky Conference Commissioner, this morning, and I asked him, I said, you know, would you be open to a football consortium with the Pac-12? He said, we got to do a better job with football. He said he would want the Mountain West Conference involved so they would have the three conferences together. But he was open to having the Big Sky Conference serve as, you know, like double A and let the Mountain West Conference serve as the triple A for Pac-12 officials. I think this is a step in the right direction if the Pac-12 will adopt it. And I'm, I'm annoyed that I have to be the one making the phone calls. Like that somebody in the Pac-12 offices should be making those phone calls. I don't know. Was any of this interesting to you guys, or is it? Am I am I geeking out on something that nobody's going to care about? No, oh, I, th- I think it's interesting that just the process that that happened in that game in Washington State, Oregon, right? To all the downfalls that happened, it was four things wrong that had to happen for this time. So it shouldn't. So the, my question is always like, well, how does this get solved? And like, do you think John should they change the rules where they can go back numerous plays or they keep it where they can go back to one play? Because you say they should go back to second down. Why didn't they even just do that? Like, I don't know. I just, it brings up a whole new bag of worms of just rules of how far can you go back and, yeah. how, you know, you know, robot reps basically. Like with, with MLB, like when is that going to come into play? Because that's part of officiating is that there's going to be bad calls. There's going to be bad things that happen, but it can't be this bad. Agree with that. I also think that, you know, I don't blame people for for not trusting the officiating. But I have to say, you know, I talked to multiple officials. It's not just one official. I talked to multiple officials, uh, one of them being a referee who's a white hat. And the takeaway that I got is I really do believe that all of these officials are trying to do their best. Like, I, I don't believe that there's a conspiracy out there. I don't think a lot of people do believe that there's a uh, conspiracy. But I want to put that to rest. I think, you know, they're trying to do their best. But the system is so broken. If you don't have a feeder system that gives you qualified, trained officials, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And so you got to – I think they got to fix that. And I think they got to uh, – I think they've got to address that part. And then beyond that – you know, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for people who have done their jobs at a high level for a long time, but the Pac-12 should not have a retired official up in the box with the duty of tracking, you know, down distance, you know, what's going on in the field, just another set of eyes. It, that should be probably a experienced, current, active official who's like an alternate who needs to be up in that box. My question, John, is how how often do referees and officials rely on that person? I'm not sure. Because that's the thing. It's like, yeah, like if it's probably infrequently. Right. So to have this, the retired guy, I understand like he's not going to be relied on, but it was this one instance where it happened. So it's like, do you really need to adjust that much for this one crazy thing? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I asked one of the referees, I said, would it help you? If you had an active referee up in the box who just had, you know, could get in your ear at any point of the game and go, hey, I'm seeing like, you know, 78's holding on every play. I can see it from up here. Keep an eye on it. Would that help you? And I got kind of a mixed reaction. Like, you know, I've got a job to do on the field. I wouldn't necessarily want someone in my ear 
every third play telling me, you know, hey, watch this, watch that. But you want to be able to, like, you know, literally, as I heard about the written report, there's a written report out there. I, I do not have the, the actual written report. But when I heard about the, you know, the down and distance marker, the rubber band, the official up in the box, the replay command center, I thought, gosh, if any one of those four things had just, you know, served its purpose, they would have got it right. But all four broke down simultaneously. And that's what caused Washington State to lose it down. George Fochive, midfielder of the Timbers, he, you know, he was on the 2015 MLS Cup team. And, you know, he played in a couple matches this year. But he's coming on. I believe this is going to be the first player in the Timbers organization who has made a public statement on what is going on with the Timbers. George Fochive, midfielder, next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. There are a lot of people frustrated, angry, hurt by the Timbers and the Thorns organizations. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are frustrated. Uh, just today, President of Soccer Gavin Wilkinson and President of Business Mike Golub were relieved of their duties by the Timbers. Uh, the Timbers and the Thorns uh, put out a statement. To this point, there have not been any players or any executives who have done public interviews. Um, the, all of this in the wake of the U.S. soccer report that uh, revealed some damaging details into alleged misconduct and abuses, a lot of criticism of owner Merritt Paulson and club executives in the last uh, couple of few days, and certainly anybody who read that report has to be disappointed. Uh, the first player that I know that is speaking publicly is the guy about to join us, uh, who has been with the Timbers, and uh, I think was is one of the few last remaining members of that 2015 uh, MLS championship team. George Fochive joining us. Oh, not joining us now. There we go. We lost him there. See if we can get him back. Sean, why don't you get on that? See, I, I was rolling right into that, and then boom, not there. But nobody's spoken out. Now, George Fuchive is hosting an art gala in Portland. He was supposed to be on the show anyway. And I kind of wondered, would he cancel? Would, uh, would it, uh, you know, was, it, was he going to back out? Would the team tell him, hey, we don't want you talking? But uh, here he is. He's on the line again. And uh, we'll be bringing him on here in just a second. I want to talk with him about what is going on. I want to talk with him about how he feels about the organization and what he has seen and what he wants you to know as as a fan of this team and or a listener or a casual observer. So uh, we will uh, get George Pachivi on here as soon as we can. And uh, Sean is dialing him up, and I believe we have him back. George Pachivi now joining us. Yes. How are you, man? Thanks for making time. Good. Thank you guys for having me. How are you? Yeah, you know, let me ask you this. I mean, we got to start here. We'll get to the other stuff, but, you know, there's – Right now, with what is going on with this club, what does it feel like to be a player that is sort of behind the scenes and watching this all publicly play out now? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It takes time to, to digest, um, first of all. And, 
And in these times, um, you know, what, what, what I tend to do, you know, is, is, is say this. I, I just want to stand with my, with my teammates, uh, my brothers and sisters, uh, our women soccer players that play for the Thorns. Hang on a second, um, George. Hang on a second, so... George. George, hang on a second. Sean, I'm going to have you work with him on his phone. I, I just don't. I don't think, I don't think that he wants to come on and have us not be able to hear him. So let's get him back on, and uh, and see if we can we can do this. Let's take a commercial break. We'll come right back with George Pochibe. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 7:50 The Game. Portland Timbers midfielder George Fochive joining us. He is one of the three remaining players on the squad who played on the 2015 MLS championship team. Uh, a lot of disappointing news in the last week and certainly over the last few months about the Timbers and the Thorns management ownership. George Fochive joining us. Uh, George, sorry about that. Your phone, uh, we got you on a landline now. Um, yeah. Give us an idea. What what's it like? What has it been like for a player to be part of a franchise that people are so disappointed with? Well, first and foremost, I, I, it's important that um, that I understand my my uh, my my situation, my position. Like you said, as a player, often we work behind the scenes, and 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 we just all we can do is is stick together. You know, so. Uh, I just want to stand with my 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 teammates, uh, Timbers and and uh, and uh, the women soccer uh, players of the Portland Thorns. Um, we're brothers and sisters working really hard out there every day uh, for the love of the game. Um, a lot of the stuff that happens, you know, front office wise, we we are also very uh, unaware of. You know, we focus on on playing, and, uh, and and we play. It's our passion. It's our lives. It's our jobs. And and every day we play. It's a for our families, for each other, for ourselves, and and our fans. You know, more importantly, our community. Um, we are really spectators of of the media and uh, and the news and and things that happen uh, off the field. Um, so it, it's a difficult situation to be in uh, because we need time to digest it as, as well. And and you know, and uh, and yeah. Has it been a distraction to the actual playing or, or this season, you know, at different points? And I know, you know, you've been in and out, but, you know, has it been, a, has it impacted play on the field? Well, our surroundings, you know, often do. Um, so yes and no, you know, we, we go out there, like I said, to play the game. We love the game. We want to play it to show it. Uh of course, uh, when everything goes well around us as well, it, it, it's beneficial to, to our success, to our performance. But uh, our goal, our main focus is always the game. Um, you know, whether the spectators uh, can see uh, if, if, if all the stuff around us is affecting us, you know, we, we can't really see that. We, we just do our best each and every day. You know, George, I appreciate you coming on. I think, you know, you are... I think the first player who has spoken about any of this, um, Gavin Wilkinson has been relieved of his duties. Mike Golub, the president, relieved of duties. Um, you know, where did you find out? How did you find out? How big a you know how big a story is that in the locker room? Um, I mean, you know, it was kind of hanging over us all year. Like you said, um, we knew some stuff was happening um, with the front office and uh, and uh, and all the news and. And uh, and honestly, 
we just, you know, we just, like I said, our, our spectators need time to, 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 to di digest this. You know, for, for, for players, like, we show up every day for each other, for our teammates, you know, for, for, um, for, for our practice, for our work, uh, for the love we have, again, for, for the game and the opportunity we have to play in front of our fans and, and all that stuff. So we, we, we show up and, you know, we learn about it and, and it's a shock. So we, we take it as, uh, as, 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 as the news that it is. It's, it, it's, it's, it can be disappointing. Um, but again, I, I think uh, we all need time to, to digest this and and uh, and know what, what's what's actually uh, you know read and, and, and inform inform ourselves on on, on everything. Uh, yeah. It's a big issue. It's, uh, it's it's complicated, and I don't want to say anything without being fully educated on on on, on each aspect of, of what what has happened. Because like I said, I just I just found out like like you did. Yeah, George, I appreciate your your being candid. Um, you know, if I can just step back, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is what it might have been like to be a Thorns player in that yeah. environment. And yeah, yeah. you know, let's go back even to 2015. You were you were with the Timbers in 2015. Did you hear any of that stuff in 2015, or was was it a shock you know to what? you? No, I mean, and I was younger than I am now, obviously, and and everything was uh, there was a uh, you know everything was was new to me, you know. I um, I came in to work. Uh, I loved what I did. Uh, I had the, the 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 chance to do that along with some some great friends on the Timbers and the Thorns. You know, we were very close at the time too. Um, but no, I I wasn't really aware of what of anything, uh, to be honest. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but yeah, I really wasn't aware. Uh, and as you know, I left and came back, and I found out here when I came back. Yeah. You know, and 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 for the thorns, like I really feel for them. Like I said, we were really close uh, uh, back then um, with all those players. I mean, we we had some great times. We hosted the MLS All Star Week. Um, uh, we. Um, you know, we were we were friends. Um, for some of us, even childhood friends. Uh, it was it was a good time, but I had no idea that they were they were in this position. I you know I didn't know. I, I really didn't know. Um, but I really you know I stand with them. And 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 what I want to say is, I'm trying to I'm trying to really shift my my focus to 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 the victims. Um, mm -hmm. You know, really pay attention to them. Um, and 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 I think our goal and and our purpose here is to help them heal, help help the community understand and protect each other and 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 love each other better. Um, you know, we we must focus on on helping people, on growing together, on progressing, and and you know, th that's really all I can say. George Fochieve, Timbers midfielder, is our guest. Uh, uh, I got a, a couple more questions, and then we'll we'll pivot a little bit here, George. But Merritt Paulson, his owner, there have been some calls from the fan groups that he should relinquish control of the team. Do you have a thought on that? See, that's something I I didn't even think about because again, again as a professional athlete, like people are gonna, gonna understand, we 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 don't we don't really play for Merritt Paulson. We play for the city of Portland. Um, we play for our, 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 our Timbers Army. We play for our fans, our families, our friends, people that are proud of us, of what we do, that come and sing for us. Um, you know, 
yeah, we, we you know the, the the owners and directors and GMs they they're just they're just employees and 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 uh, and I respect their jobs. I, I you know I, I don't I don't really know what it takes um, to do what they do, but um, ultimately th those are not the people I play for. Um, so I I didn't even even think about them. I immediately thought of of the victims and 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 it broke my heart and 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 how to support them, you know, and 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 do what we do, love each other rather than than thinking of, of, of who did us wrong for now because I don't have all the information. And, 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 um, and it's important that, that, that the attention goes to the victims. Again, I think that they are the people that deserve attention and, and help. George Fochieve with us. Uh, you know, you've played all over the world. You played, you know, in Israel where the clubs represent very specific political, religious, economic groups. It feels incredibly complicated and you know, and your world travels, you know, it, it feels to me like you probably have to grow up fast being a pro soccer player. Absolutely, man, absolutely. It's, uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful experience. It's a beautiful human experience. Um, because once you open your mind to all those things, right, you're able to, you're able to think, think from different perspectives. You're able to understand people. You're able to love people. You're able to love yourself understand differences appreciate them right you're able to really expand your your mind your your it's a it's a it's a true uh a blessing uh this said yes it was very complicated at times you're dealing with political geopolitical uh, um, uh situations that that you must understand first of all right it's important these are these are human beings too um, and uh and understand the world within within uh which we live um, we, 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 we're a catalyst to joy. You know, we play a sport for a living. Kids love us. We can represent our people, our families, our, our communities. Uh, we, we, we have, we are incredibly fortunate, um, to do what we do. And so we can change the world if we pay attention to the right things. You know, we can really change the world. People pay attention to what we do. Um, if, if, if we direct our efforts towards, Towards, towards bettering the world as athletes, you know, not just playing, you know, bettering the world. I think we can have an impact. George, uh, you've got a pseudonym. You are, you have been painting, and yeah. I found this out uh, a couple of weeks ago. But you've got, uh, you, you know, I don't know how long you've been painting. I want to know that, but you've got a big art gala coming up at Akadi PDX with they'll be displaying yeah. your artwork canvas paintings you're donating a portion of the proceeds to charity but give us an idea man you know how long have you been painting <laughs> so I've been painting since I was a kid um, yeah I've been painting since I was a kid I've always loved it um, I went through seasons you know I, I, I tried different different techniques I tried uh, different studies of art um, I uh, I often did it in secret too uh, only telling my sister my sister knew about it because we shared a room um, but my my mom didn't know because when I when I kind of um, talked about art she was not very interested she uh, she didn't think I could make a living or 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 or, or succeed in in a, in a career in arts right so I kind of dropped that subject for for years, but I continued painting. I took classes in school, extra classes whenever I could. I had time. I'd take extra class in art art history and 
and uh, and living in France and in Europe, all the school trips were very beneficial to um, to my inspiration. Um, having um, African parents uh, was also extremely influential culturally. Um, so many different elements, and and art kept uh, kept opening my mind to the cultures, to the to the music, to uh, to the people, you know, to to the food, to everything. Uh, to all the visuals and and um, and the difference in, in in philosophies and way of thinking, so it was a very very um, very big thing for me growing up. Um, even though at some point I had to focus more on on sports uh, and my general studies, uh, I still always carried it with me. And this year, uh, when I got injured earlier in the year, I, um, I I think that I was I was in a very bad place mentally, um, and and I started thinking, what are the things that I love, right? You know, what are the good things I have instead of thinking of the bad things, the injuries, and, and you know. So I, uh, I thought of painting again, and I started, um, I started on a canvas, then bought another, then bought five, then bought ten, and I met people along the way, Mayar, um, Zorka, a good friend of mine, who uh, who told me that we yeah. should uh, we should try to do an uh, an art gala and invite yeah. people and uh, and create something fun for the community and I and I uh, and I was very uh, excited about the idea and um, yeah and we went on and, and did that. Okay. Uh, George, you are painting under the pseudonym Ivan Yaffe. Uh, we're going to tweet it out at the 750 The Game Twitter account. IvanYaffe.com if you want to see his artwork and go to the gala that is coming up, uh, I believe it is tomorrow night at Akati PDX. George, thank you for coming on. Thank you for speaking publicly about this. You're the first one to do it, and I think, uh, you know, I commend you for that. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And I wanted to mention and say a big thanks to, uh, to Akati, um, the restaurant, Af West, A West African restaurant that we're, uh, that's hosting yeah. us for the event, and Audi Beaverton yeah. and Jeff. <laughs> Uh, my good friend who helped us. Uh, Akade PDX. Yeah, we're going to run yeah. out of time here. I'll plug it on the other side of the break. Thank you, George, for joining us. Leave it here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Good stuff from uh, the Timbers midfielder, George Faceve, who joined us in that, uh, in that interview. Really good stuff there. Fascinated by that. Fascinated by that. Um, what'd you guys make of it? What'd you guys make of it? Yeah, I thought it was real interesting. Um... When you talked about, you know, the front office and his response was, well, we don't play for merit policy. We play for the city of Portland. We play for our fans. We play for each other. You know, we play for the family, you know, the brothers and the sisters of the Thorns and the Timbers. I thought that was really, really powerful, like a powerful message to, the, you know, just the city of Portland. Like, you know what? We are on your side and we're here to provide you entertainment. We want to help you through this tough times without saying that stuff right like he he said he's all about the city of Portland. so i thought that was the most powerful part for me yeah really uh, really interesting and frankly 
you know, I, I applaud his courage. Like, I don't think it's easy for somebody to, uh, to, to speak out that way when the organization's got turmoil. Sean, what was your takeaway? Yeah, it, it was definitely courageous uh, to, to come on. And, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people with the Timbers would have thought it's a little too soon. But uh, credit to him for coming on, speaking about it. And I think, you know, just everything that he said about in the interview, not only, you know, playing for the city and not playing for ownership to, you know, dealing with some geopolitical issues from, you know, a lot of soccer players deal with from moving to the United States from a different country um, to even talking about his art. It just shows that, like, the, these, these players are more than athletes, you know, and the Timbers have a huge game this Sunday, and, uh, you know, it's to decide whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, and yet there's so many other things that, that we're talking about with the player. It shows that these guys are so much more than what actually happens on the field. Yeah, I think that's, frankly, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a, a testament to, you know, I love what he had to say about standing with other players, and, and, uh, you know, that they're in it together. And I think, you know, too, it helped me a little bit that you get, you get some context that, uh, that, you know, is behind that. Uh, you get some context there that, that essentially, you know, these players are shoulder to shoulder in the training room and, you know, out at the pitch and you know, they know each other. And he even said that some of them are childhood, childhood uh you know, friends. And I think it's really interesting to, uh, to see that, that there is a, um, you know, that there is a, a, an element there that I don't think a lot of people understand. You see the Timbers, you th see the Thorns, and you think, oh, they don't know each other. And I think in the end, I do think that you have players who have known each other for a long time, who uh, are around each other a long time and in the end uh, really feel for each other because they go through some of the same things. And I think that's probably true of a lot of sports. A lot of athletes, I think you see camaraderie with athletes in basketball, men's and women's teams. You see the camaraderie between athletes across sports. When you see crossover games, you'll often see athletes that play different sports, but, they, but they've got some of those common things together that they all feel like you know, they're going through some of the same stuff. So I think it's really interesting to kind of see what is, uh, what is uh, you know, part of it and, you know, what goes into all of that. Um, and, frankly, I think there's a lot of people who are disappointed with, um, disappointed with what happened and now are hopeful that they can continue to support players on those teams. Because I had people say, like, you know, hey, I, I'm not going to go to games anymore. And that, but I wonder in the end – who does that hurt? Like, you know, when you, if you boycott a Blazer game, you, you know, are you hurting ownership and management? Yeah. But are you also affecting the team that looks up into the stands and sees nobody in the seats? So I think there's some of that that goes on. And I think there's some of that, frankly, that becomes, uh, you know, becomes part of the story. So there you go. I, uh, you know, I, I just applaud the kid for coming on, right? You know, he came on, he talked about it. I thought he talked about it best he could, given the information that he had. Is there anything he he should have done that he didn't do in your minds, guys? No, I th I thought he was very candid with all of his answers, and it seemed like it came from a genuine place, right? Like you asked him, you know, did you know? And he said, embarrassingly, no. Like that's on me for not knowing these type of situations. So I thought he was. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he answered the questions perfectly, um, the best of his ability that he could. 
uh, without you know not without knowing all the information. So I thought it was I thought it was very insightful and it was good. Yeah, a little bit a uh, little bit of backstory to that. You know, he was supposed to come on anyway. He was uh, promoting his art uh, his art thing, and I think it's really interesting that you know all this sort of broke in the wake. But we had been talking about getting him on the show for a couple of weeks and. This event is tomorrow night, 6.30 to 9.30 at Akati PDX. But who knew? Who knew that George Fichive was painting on the side under his pseudonym? So cool for him. Glad that he's doing that. And uh, really applaud him coming on the show to talk about it. Uh, we got some punch it audio. We got the best sound from all around. We're going to let it rip here. Let's do it, guys. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's let's start with a heated first take debate. Aaron Judge against Barry Bonds. Who do you got in the debate? Well, it was Stephen A. Smith and Mad Dog mixing it up. Punch it. Baseball was reaping the profits from his exploits. The networks was reaching the, reaping the profits from his exploits. But suddenly we want to sit up here and act like it didn't happen. Why everybody's wallets are padded from his greatness. Hell no. I saw him at the NBA Finals. The first thing I did, because I had never met him before, I walked up to Barry Bonds and I gave that man a hug. You know why? Because I don't give a damn what happened and what he was doing. He is one of the greatest ever. As far as I'm concerned, he is the home run king. And as far as I'm concerned, this man smacked 73 home runs in a season. You can call it what you want. He cheated! Oh, whatever. Oh, come whatever. on! He took whatever. the steroids whatever. forever. Whatever. Whatever. His head expanded. Yeah, I agree. He used 24 it's home it's runs it's more than he ever did in that one that's year. True. McGuire picked up the phone and cried his eyes out because to Maris's mother. And, 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 uh, wife, hey, I'm sorry I oh, cheated. If he <laughs> took everybody's hand, you're nuts. You're crazy. <laughs> this man is the home run king. Who's the better player in their prime? In their prime, who's the better baseball player? I would argue Bonds, but I get the people who are upset, the purists and the traditionalists who are upset, saying, look, the cream, the clear, you know, he, his head expanded. <laughs> Mad dog, I love you. But in the end, like, look, can we, can we not acknowledge that what Aaron Judge is doing this season is remarkable? But can we also look back at Barry Bonds and go, look, baseball let him play. There was no rule on the books that said he couldn't use PEDs. Yeah, he didn't break any rules. And just going back to that season, go look at those numbers. I mean, they are insane. So he was getting maybe one pitch a game that he could hit, and he was hitting home runs. In their prime. You can draft only one of those players and get them for a season in their prime. Who are you taking? Oh, it's Bonds. Bonds easy. Not even close. Sean, you got an argument with that, or you like Bonds? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Bonds. I can't say I have a strong opinion. There it is. Here's the news report on Corey Humans catching the Aaron Judge home run. Punch it. This video got 2.7 million views on Twitter. Everybody finding out who is that man who now owns a piece of history. Where are you from, Corey? Uh, Dallas. What are you going to do with the ball, Corey? That's a good question. I haven't thought about it. Our cameras there as security guards escorted Corey Yeomans of Dallas to a secure location with that record-setting home run ball, number 62, off the bat of Aaron Judge. There it was. Caught the ball. Probably worth a couple million dollars. 
But what happens, like, you know, if Judge had hit a home run an inning later, does it diminish the value of that ball, guys? Yeah, I think it definitely diminishes the value. You know, the question I had is, you know, he got escorted to his car, but, like, are people going to be following at home? Because, like, that ball, he was offered on the spot $2 million, and he rejected it. So, like, that is a very valuable piece of thing that he has. You know, what's to stop people from just following him from home? When people found out it was him, like, they found his name out. I guess there's people outside his house right away. So, I think that's the scariest part is, like, people are going to be crazy and want that ball. But, yeah, I you got to sell that ball. If I find that guy, I'm selling it right away. Yeah, you got to get – you know, you, you basically hit a lottery ticket. Get rid of it. Do it. I, I just don't want all the stress and, you know, all this stuff coming with it. Just give me the free $2 million right there on the spot. Yeah, I'll take that. Would you have would you have gone public with your name? Yeah, sure. Why not? I don't I don't think there's a problem with it. There were some people who said like, "Oh goodness, shouldn't have gone out there with his name." Like the news agencies that put his name out there. Like I would want to because then people would know my name more. There, yeah, but everybody you that you owed five dollars to is coming out of the woodwork now. That's true. Don't tell my bookies. <laughs> All right, there was a hilarious broadcasting moment, or so I'm told, in in a Las Vegas exhibition game. What am I hearing here, guys? Set it up for me. Uh, so it was Victor Wimbanyama. They were playing the exhibition game against the G League Ignite, um, and a player on Wimbanyama's team has a interesting last name, and it's his real name. So, uh, yeah, just play it, and we'll find out what the All name right. is. And by the way, I want to talk about Wimbiana coming up here, but here here it is. Assault, curling off the screen, driving baseline. Oh, you fat with a three. Yes, I just said that. That is that man's name. Don't tweet at me. I don't want to tweet from anybody. That's the man's name. Ho, you fat. Steve, ho, you fat, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Classic. So Wimbiana. Wimbiana is interesting. Let's, let's, here's, here's, uh, Jonathan Gibney. Talking about Wembenyana. Wembenyama. Gosh. So M. Can I? Yeah. Wembenyama. Okay. Kevin Durant, Rudy Gobert. Who's he more like? Jonathan Giveney, punch it. Think Kevin Durant meets Rudy Gobert. Whoa. Seven foot four, eight foot wingspan, only 18 years old, can handle the ball, create his own shot, play pick and roll, go get his own one on one. Shoot, coming off screens, off step backs, protects the rim, blocks threes, dunks everything. Honestly, I've never seen a prospect like him in my life. It, yesterday was one of the most fun nights I've had as a talent evaluator. NBA executives were absolutely smitten with him. Mm. They were walking out of that arena with a huge smile on their face. I think if you're the Blazers, you'd be awfully tempted to do what everybody else is going to do. Woj had a big piece about it today, about everybody tanking to try to get Victor Wimbanyama. But is it possible, guys, that if the Blazers go for it while everyone else is tanking, that they could end up a little better in the Western Conference mm -hmm. than they might normally end up? Or, or is this guy worth everybody tanking for? I think he's worth everyone tanking for. I just don't know that there's going to be enough teams, especially in the Western Conference, that will be tanking super hard for the Blazers to move up. Like, I think it ends at about 11. I, the Kings and the Blazers are fighting for that 10 spot, and the Kings have already come out and said, we're going for the playoffs this year. We want to make the play-in. So I think everyone after that, they're in the Wimbenyama sweepstakes. And then the Eastern Conference is a couple teams as well. So there's already, like, six, seven teams that are in this 
you know, discussion. I'm not against the Blazers if things go wrong really at the start of the year to go for it because he is that good. And, you know, he's really tall and people are going to be scared of that, but the guy moves like he's six foot seven and he shoots like he's Kevin Durant. So this is, it is so fun to watch. If you ever get a chance, watch him. He is the real deal. He's unbelievable. And last night he played in Vegas. It was proof that he's a real person because yeah, I've been incorporating him into my NBA takes for, for at least a year now and saying, you know, Blazers should think about maybe trading Dan because you know, this Victor Wembenyama guy exists and he's going to shake the league when he, when he comes around. So no, I, I think, you know, we've, we've done the activity on the show of naming every Western conference team. That's that's you know, potentially better than Portland. I don't think any of those teams are, are going to be tanking uh, for him. I think it's a list of probably about, eight teams uh doesn't mean the whole league's going to be taken for him yeah i also think like if, if you're a blazer fan i don't blame you for being a little bit allergic to a big guy okay is there another player in this draft that's close that would be in the draft that's close to this guy yeah so the guy that he played in the exhibition is scoot, a point, scoot henderson he's the number two projected guy and he had a great game as well uh he's by all accounts all world, all elite type of guy. So it's those two guys at the top of the draft right now. Uh, they like to be one and two. Would you take Scoot just because it's Portland and big guys, Greg no. Oden, all that, or do you have to do Wimbanyana? This I, is the Yama. best. This is the best high school prospect since LeBron James. Like this is this is something different. I mean, he's got he's Giannis, but like more, he's got higher higher ceiling than I can't speak highly enough about this guy. Yeah. You, you do not think about injuries. You would take this guy if you have the number one pick. It's just something we've never seen before, and so because of that, we resort back to what we have seen, and that's big guys getting hurt. But we've never seen a guy seven foot four be able to move and handle the basketball like he does. The offensive potential is off the chart for this guy. So you got to take him because if it hits. Like, you have maybe the best player in the NBA. Love this. Love this conversation. Moving on, Jamal Murray talking about the bubble. Why did he like the bubble so much? Here's Jamal Murray punching. Sure, I think that was the highest level of basketball being played um, because it was only basketball. And guys were so locked in. It's, you know, you go to the gym, you have a shoot-around, you eat, you play. Win or lose, you... You're in your room and you go back to the gym. If you want some, if you want to do something, you want a hobby, you just go to the gym. You have a court time from six to nine. Like that was all we did, you know. So, I'm now you're playing cards with your teammates, you know. So, um, guys were just locked in. I was we're always talking about basketball. We're always talking about coverages. We're always in the gym shooting free throws. Um, so it was just that was the only thing we're doing, and that helped me for sure because that's the kind of guy I am to, to stay locked in night in night out. Jamal Murray talking about focus, really. I thought it was interesting. I think there's such a thing as, you know, being too into your craft. Like, you need to step back. I ask coaches all the time, do you ever stop watching film? Do you ever take a night off? Jonathan Smith at Oregon State talks about Thursday night being kind of his his family night. But I think it's really interesting to kind of look at what these athletes did in the bubble I think a lot of people, though, working at home, Anna and I were talking about this today, like the kids that are in, like, first grade, kindergarten, second, third graders even. They, you know, they spent the better part of two years trying to deal with a lot of adversity and distance learning and then back in the classroom, then not in the classroom. So the NBA players, when they were in that bubble, like, all they had to think about was sleeping, eating, and basketball. Probably wasn't all that mentally healthy for some of the players. But interesting that at least one said, 
it was uh, the highest level of basketball he's ever seen. Well, statistically speaking, they shot much better in the bubble than they do uh, with the with the crowd in the stands. And that even happened the next season when they played, you know, in empty arenas. The shooting was off the charts because there just wasn't any distractions. So, yeah, I mean, it really was like the best basketball that we've seen in the NBA. Yeah, and the reason Jamal Murray is being connected to the bubble, even though it was nearly three years ago, is because he played just by far the best basketball of his career in the bubble. He still hasn't made an all-star team right after the bubble where he played like a top 10 player. He tears his ACL, he misses a year and a half, and now he's finally back. That's Punch It Audio. It's the best sound from all around. Jonathan Smith coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, Oregon State's coach. You are here on the Bald Face Truth radio show. Not home of the Ducks. Not home of the Beavers. Home of the Truth. Leave it here. Anna comes up next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, there's a reason why you come to this radio show. You want uh, to hear from a Timbers player in the wake of a really disappointing week and a, a lot of turmoil inside that organization. Uh, you know, the first quote comes from this show. I talk about being sourced. I talk about in-depth reporting and commentary. You don't get it anywhere else. You get it here. That's where you get it. If you want it, this is where you find it. You can also read it at johnconzano.com. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, um, you know, in the NBA and in the NFL and in Major League Baseball, there is a certain point of the season where teams kind of go, we have to play 20 games in the NBA, and then we know who we are. In the NFL, it's like about this week, about week four, where you can kind of go, who are we? Are we a contender? Were we not? Like, there's a lot of feeling out that goes on. Major League Baseball, same way. Take you about a month, maybe six weeks, then teams start to settle into a groove. Is there such a thing in any other job like that? Like maybe the school year? Does it have a groove to it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think in most things there's a recognition where it's like, okay, after this amount of time we're on the right track or we need a course correction. Don't you feel like for a job situation, it used to be like a year. But now, as quickly as people change jobs, I feel like it's much sooner than that, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's like the six-month mark now for people, yeah. if that. I always, I've, I've always, I've done this bit before. Like, I feel like we need a spring training. We need a training camp, you know, <laughs> like all of us should get. Like, because there's no, like, people take vacations or whatnot, or maybe school teachers get the summer off. But in most jobs, there's no kind of, there's no uh, lull in the job, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. when's my lull? People will say, oh, the summer. No, nah, the summer, summer's harder. The summer's harder in a lot of ways because there's not anything going on. Right. It's harder. Right. Like, I actually think, like, college football season, the show kind of settles into a nice rhythm. You know, we have regular guests on. There's mm-hmm. games coming up on Saturday. The NBA has got whatnot. But I actually think, like, July kind of kind of is like I got to really be good in July. Yeah, cuz that's like a dead week potentially. You know, you've got Pac-12 Media Day that's usually somewhere in there, but other than that, yeah, you got to get more creative. I think uh it's interesting in one respect 
to think about a spring training because in spring training or like in the case of the NBA exhibition season or the NFL preseason, you, players can make mistakes and people dismiss it as, oh, it's just the spring or it's just the preseason. Oh, they'll be all right. He's, they're just working it out right now. Like, none of us get that. Yeah, how come we don't yeah. get that? <laughs> Bus drivers, you don't get to let kids off at the wrong stop and then people go, you know what? It's the spring. Give them a break. You know, cut them some slack. That's true. I mean, bus drivers do a lot of training, though, before they have actual kids, like, stepping foot on their bus, right? Like, they got to they gotta make some rotations first and make yeah. sure they're not forgetting someone. You always see the bus out before school starts, and they're making the route. Yes. There's nobody on the bus. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I think bus drivers back me up here. It's probably not the same as having, like, 25 screaming kids on that bus. No way. Like, you're, you're driving in peace. <laughs> Nothing's just, going on. That's just baptism by fire. I mean, there's no true way to, like you know, assimilate into that kind of situation. And God bless the bus drivers out there because I could not do it. Couldn't do it. Nobody's nobody's got nobody in a headlock, you know, (laughs) anything like that. So there you go. Yeah. If I were a school bus driver, I would just have a bullhorn, you know, and when things got a little rowdy, you just go, Oh, you know, yeah. You ask him for their explanation and then you just blow the horn at them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, tell me what's going on back there. Well, yeah. You know, (laughs) <laughs> that would be good. That would be effective. Mm-hmm. Steven, Sean, would you like a spring training in your job where, you know, like you could screw up and you could just go, hey, you know, it's the spring. We're working on it. Um, No, I don't. I don't want it. I want to try to be perfect all the time. But, love, that, you know, the, it kind pressure. of is. It is kind of is, though, you know, you know, I don't want to, you know, pump you up too much here, John, but you got a popular show here. I don't know if you know this. You got I a popular don't. show. So if you're on a different – if I'm on a different show – that's kind of the spring training. Yeah. Not okay. as many people listen. Oh, I, stop I, it. I, Thank you. I, I can, stop it. I Thank can you. make mistakes, but when I'm on the big <laughs> like show. This. Keep going. Yeah, when I'm, on, when, I'm in the, when I'm in the big leagues right now, I can't be oh. messing up. Yep. Thank Steven. you. Thank I you, Steven. You off, I knew I liked Steven. He's yeah. going to be intolerable <laughs> for the rest of oh, yeah. the day. Remember what Steven said about the big leagues? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but there's nothing like being in the big leagues. I mean, full disclosure, like, you know. We got this Timbers guest coming on in the 3 o'clock hour. It's a big deal, you know, like, okay, he's going to talk. Like, are the Timbers going to try to stop him from talking? Should we promote it? Should we not promote it? He comes on, and his phone line's bad, and we got to go to commercial break. Yeah, that was my got, spring training. Then, <laughs> yeah. No, but, Sean, you hustled. Like, you had him back on, like, within a couple minutes with, yeah. a, with a landline. Yeah, I was disappointed in myself. Shouldn't have let him through the first time. But, yeah, we got him on the landline. It was, uh, you know, it ended up good. But that was my version of spring. You know, like, there's a change in the weather. It was rainy today. So this is my version of spring training. You make a little mistake, you know? I don't really put that on you, but, you know, you got you to, gotta, I don't know what the phone sounded like when you got on with him because sometimes the phone is crystal clear and it's just kind of Murphy's Law situation the minute they start talking. Oh. Everybody knows that. Oh, gosh. How many times you've yes. been on hold for, like, 35 minutes? <laughs> Yeah. And then you move to a part of your house uh-huh. where you don't get reception, and then they're like, hello, can we help you? And you're like, hello, hello. And then all of a sudden they're like, I can't hear you. Uh-huh. You're in a bad connection situation. Inevitable. Inevitable. Just but happens. Just so like listeners understand, the ideal is to have people call in on a landline to avoid the ambiguity of that guest. situation. The guest. Right, the guest. Right. It's harder and harder, though, now. It is, because people are yeah. mobile, too. So it's like you're trying to pin down the guest and say, please find a landline somewhere. You know, go to a payphone. <laughs> yeah, get on a payphone. Get on a payphone. I, I said to somebody one time, I said, uh, you know, do you want to be on a landline? 
And the guy said, I don't know what a landline is. No. Yeah. And I, I said, like your home phone. And he went, oh, okay. And he goes, no, I don't have one of those. But because more and more people like, you know, I, I remember my parents. It was a big deal when they gave up their landline phone number. Yeah. Do your parents, do any of your parents have a landline? No, I, my parents haven't had one for like 20 years. So, no. Nope. Absolutely not. Uh, mine still do. And they don't have caller waiting. <laughs> so I find it. Tra- like I tried to call my mom today. And I couldn't get through to her. I get that beep, beep, like she's on the phone. It's like, this is so nostalgic. It's got the old school. Not, not only do we not have landlines, but we all kind of make fun of my oldest brother who doesn't have an iPhone. He has like a, an Android. And, you know, he's kind of left out of the family FaceTimes and everything. He's the green, Group green bubbles. Oh, there is, uh, no, but there is the nothing green. worse than iPhone when you go, streaming. To, you go to text somebody or you're trying to iMessage somebody from like a laptop that you have, and you realize they don't have an iPhone. <laughs> Tremendously disappointed. They've really yeah. monopolized that uh, that industry. It's really genius by them. The yeah. way they just completely blackballed other phones from it's participating. Shame. It's shame. But the funny thing is, people. I like most of. Correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the people who I know who have Android, they're almost belligerent about it because they'll be like, Ugh, "You and your iPhone." Like they're really they're, they're they take defensive. pride oh, like yeah they take yeah. pride in it yes really yes hmm. because they will tell you the Android is superior in various uh, ways yeah it is except like I'll just give you an example John Strong the voice of American soccer good friend of mine I was the best man at his wedding and I went to here, message him here today it comes. Mm-hmm. I went to message him today yeah. I, look this is a big league show okay I went to message him today <laughs> you're welcome just to say to him see hey I'm having this. Timbers player on, you know, yeah. and and I wanted to ask him. This is the prep I do, America. Uh, I wanted to ask him, outside of the obvious questions about like the Timbers and the Thorns and his artwork and whatever, America. is there anything soccer related I should ask this guy? And I went to text him, but I was going to use my laptop to iMessage him. Yeah, and he doesn't have an iPhone. <sighs> what, so what? hard, I know. So I so got to pull my phone out. And then I got to tap a message in yeah. and do the same thing. It's so, really cumbersome. Going back to your reference to America. <laughs> so That was for Steven. This is just a, a national it. audience now. Eh. Let's just. You well, got callers from everywhere. I, I, yeah, I actually had someone one time who, it was, it was an older person, who said, you know, is your show national? And I said, well, the podcast is actually universal. So it's bigger than universal. Bigger than national. You can tune in from, from Pluto if, if you want. I'm going to tell you, like, there's probably some foreign life out there. Yeah. That has tuned in and found us accidentally in yeah. some far corner of the galaxy. Yeah. And is like, you know what, man? I need to go to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> They're going to come here. E.T., if you want to subscribe to the podcast, yeah. you can find it on SoundCloud. And, and, well, wherever you find it, <laughs> Where, you're out there in the wherever, galaxy. Wherever you listen Android, to it. Android, Apple devices. It doesn't matter. All are welcome. So they're going to show up, and they're going to be like, we need one of these iPhones, first of all. What are these things? No. Uh, but I remember when I was a kid, okay, I, I used to turn on the radio at night. And I lived in the Bay Area, and you always could get, like, some of the AM powerhouse signals that came in a little stronger late at night. Oh, yeah. Out of L.A., Vegas, yeah. other places, far-reaching places that didn't come in during the day. 
and there was this show on in Vegas. Okay, it was it was uh, Lee Pete was the host. It was a gambling show, and he had a sidekick named Donnie. Okay, <laughs> I'm like 12 years old, uh-huh. and I used to listen to this sports wagering show. And they did a sports wagering show before it was fashionable. Yeah, and they like would bet the game way before way bet before the game. The yes. game. So, but they I I can tell you they did the show from the Union Plaza Hotel, number one Main Street in downtown old school Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It sounded so glamorous, like these guys doing the show. Now I'm in radio, I realize it was probably a folding table and they had hot dogs, right? But, <laughs> but I remember my dad, he also, I turned him on to listening to the show, and I was listening to the show, we both listened to it. Yeah. And my dad one time and my mom were going to Vegas. And so my dad said, I'm going to the Union Plaza Hotel on number one Main Street. It's yeah. down like near Fremont Street, down yeah. in old Vegas. Yeah, I'm going to go and see this I'm gonna see this show. place in person. In person. Yeah. And my dad came back highly disappointed. <laughs> <It> was <laughs> what was the report? The magic of radio. Uh-huh. I think he looked around the hotel. He couldn't find them. <laughs> like they were probably in some back closet room with, you know, two guys. It's probably Donnie, two degenerate gamblers who somehow got a radio signal out of Vegas. But I'm just saying... If you're listening to this show in some remote part of the galaxy, we come in peace here on this radio program. But you're always welcome to come to the studio if you want to come and see what the magic's about, okay? But stop by Stephen and Sean first. That's, they're like the bouncers. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Got a bunch of Pac-12 games coming up this weekend. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the program. Jonathan Smith will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. Oregon State football coach. I'm going to ask him about his quarterback conundrum. Uh, I am also going to uh, going to talk about uh, a little bit about the officiating in the Pac-12 and what is uh, what I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, there is, uh, I think we're in full swing right now. But the Mariners are headed to the playoffs, although they will not host a home game in the opening round of the wild card playoffs. But I feel like it's a big deal that the Mariners are in the playoffs. Anna, you brought this up with me the other day. This game will be uh, taking place in Toronto. But uh, what is uh, you know what is your feeling about the Mariners being in the playoffs? How big of a deal is that? I think it's a huge deal because, I mean, you know, as somebody who grew up here in the Northwest, that's all we had. Like, that's who we, that's who our allegiance was to. And, uh, I like, I, I'm sort of casually excited about it as well. Uh, I have a friend who just got a job working for the Mariners organization fairly recently within the last year in community relations. And so I'm excited for her. Like she's new on the job and here they are uh, in the playoffs for the first time in so long. So I get to kind of like live vicariously through her as she's experiencing that. Yeah. And I look, you know, I'm looking at the Mariners season that, you know, this year as you kind of look at the way they finished, this is a team won 90 games, finished second in the American league West, certainly got it done with pitching. Steven, Sean, are you guys, are you guys into 
what is going on with the Mariners right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't have a baseball team that I root for, so I, you know, just defaultly root for the Mariners. So I will be excited about that. Um, you know, the thing I want to ask you, John, is the uh, Major League Baseball, you know, they expanded the wild card. Now three teams are in it. The Mariners still would have been in it last season um, as one of the wild card games. But does it take anything away from it that the Major League Baseball has expanded the playoffs to get the Mariners finally, you know, back in the playoffs since 2001? I, not to me, because I think, you know, the Atlanta Braves last year, they won the World Series. They won 88 games in the regular season. Mariners won 90. And, look, I didn't love the Mariners went through a stretch in, like, mid-September to late September where they were not good. And they were, and it wasn't like they were losing to the great teams. They were losing to the A's. Uh, but, you know, I was looking at their last 12. I think they won 8 of 12 to finish the year. That's not horrible. And they've got pitching. So if you are, you know, if you're a Mariners fan, like I've, like I'm maybe I'm a little more optimistic about the Mariners maybe winning this wild card series, you, you know, than I was before. Can they beat the Blue Jays, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think they can beat the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, it's not that big. Uh, it would be that big of a thing if they did do that. And I think more for the Mariners is just to the future, right? Julio Rodriguez is going to win the American League Rookie of the Year. They uh, traded for Luis Castillo and then locked him up to a big contract. They got some young pitchers, George Kirby, uh, Logan Gilbert. Like, the Mariners have made so many bad decisions with the general managing, like with you know signing players or trading for players. Now they finally seem like they have a good combination of young players and veteran players. So it seems like it shouldn't just be a one-year thing. So this might just be step one of, you know, maybe a nice little playoff run that the Mayors can have going. So I'm with you. I think they have a good chance against the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are not, you know, an elite team by any stretch. Uh, but it's just it's more fun just to have the playoffs back uh, in the Northwest. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Mariners fans. If you're a Mariners fan, I'm not raining on your parade. Uh, walk-off victory gave you the gave you the berth, and this is the first playoff appearance since 2001 uh, with, uh, you know, as a wild card. So the Mariners, uh, good for you getting in. But, you know, if you're still playing games, you know, let's say October 11, 13, 15, right in there, uh, then it's gone well for you. So, you know, I love it because, you know, the wild card teams, when you look at, like, you know, the Atlanta Braves from last year or even go back to, like, you know, the Giants got in as a wild card one year. The wildcard teams are playing to get into the playoffs, and they're playing for a seeding purpose. And so I those wildcard teams spend like the last two weeks of the season really having to play hard, while maybe some other teams that won more games in the regular season kind of coast to the finish line. And I think in baseball there is sort of a mindset that you have that is a very competitive, in rhythm. It's a very rhythm-based sport. When your pitching's going well and the defense is going well and you're hitting the ball well, like, you know, we've all seen teams catch lightning in a bottle in baseball. The Braves did it last year, and they won the World Series. They, they were not the best team in the regular season. So I, I'm always looking to see who are those teams. And I don't mind that the Mariners went through that rough stretch in September, but 8 of 12 to finish the year, that that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, what sport do you think has the most momentum going towards it? Like, you need the momentum going forward to win a a championship because that's not a it's not a calculable thing like you cannot say well the momentum says this but it seems like in baseball a lot of times these teams get hot towards the end of the year they make a run same with football i think in baseball has the most like if you're playing the best going in the most momentum going in the playoffs you got a real shot college basketball i feel like 
you know, it's not yeah. necessarily who the best team was all year. It's who, it's who's hot. MLB is similar to that, you know, and that's yeah. why I think the Mariners. We've seen wild card teams, you know. Uh, I'm not sure about the Braves last year. Fill me yeah. in there, but I know the Nationals a couple of years ago were a wild yeah. card team. So the, the the Mariners have a puncher's shot. And it's really exciting, and now it puts pressure on the Sacramento Kings in the NBA because I think they have the longest playoff drought now. That, let's look at wild card teams that won the World Series. The Marlins did it in '97 and 2003. The Anaheim Angels did it in 2002. The Red Sox did it in 2004. The Cardinals did it in 2011. The Giants did it in 2014. The Nationals did it in 2019. Now, the Braves were not a wild card, but the Braves only won 88 games. So they, you know, you talk about teams that sort of catch lightning in a bottle, and it is. It's you playing well, and it. And I, I'm reminded, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was kind of like North Carolina basketball last year in the NCAA tournament. Like, they just got healthy. They were playing well. You know, it's... It's it, their baseball's got some of that, and I think baseball's different. Like in the NFL, it doesn't matter. You see NFL teams take the last week of the season off, and it's okay because they're getting healthy. And football is just different. If you're bigger, faster, stronger, you got better coaching, you got better players, you got a better quarterback. You know, you're going to win nine out of ten games when you play. Weird things happen, but you know, usually in football, the the best team wins. In baseball, the best team doesn't always win. The team that's playing well wins. And, or if you got a pitcher who's dominant, you win. So baseball is a little different that way. And I, I just always come back to the fact that, like, you know, the best teams in baseball, you know, are, are losing 60 to 65 games a year. And and you're still the best. Yeah, in baseball, you just got to get into the dance where, you know, you talked about college basketball. I agree that it has a lot of, uh, you know, volatility. But at the same time, it's all about matchups in that one. Where in baseball, it's just if you're hot, you can beat anybody on any given day. So, just get into the dance, and the Mariners got there. So, see what happens after that. Yeah, the Braves, by the way, last year they were eighty-eight and seventy-three. Nobody picked them to win at all, but they finished well, and they just, you know, they won the NL East. Then they won the NL. They won the division series over the Brewers, three to one. Then they beat the Dodgers in the championship series. Nobody picked them to beat the Dodgers. They got to the World Series. They see the Astros. Like all those teams. At least the Dodgers and the Astros in those two cases, like, you know, most people were picking against the Braves, but the Braves just, it, they were playing better than anybody. So who are you picking in the playoffs in the Major League Baseball? You going Mariners? Uh, no, I'm not going Mariners. Uh, I'm I'm going, uh, I need a little more time on that. Right. I haven't looked enough at, at who played well down the stretch. I haven't looked at them. I'm, I'm barely looking at the postseason matchups as they will happen. But if you are a uh, Mariners fan, game one, Seattle is at Toronto. And that is coming up uh, on third or Friday night, and then you get game Friday two on afternoon, actually. Friday after oh four oh seven. Yeah, one oh seven West Coast time. Ooh, so that's going to be happening. Like you know, we're going to get some resolution during this show on Friday. Yeah, probably some highlights on my updates. All right, so I think it's really important in these games. I'll just say this: I think it's really important to get game one in a three-game series. I mean, that's it. Just puts so much pressure on the other team to do things that are outside their character. And in baseball, as Pat Casey has told us famously. You know, confidence is comfort. Comfort is confidence. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So I was thinking about something during the commercial break. You know, for diehard Mariners fans who are listening to the show or diehard Blazers fans who have suffered through 
uh, watching their team not get to where you hope they get over and over again. Look, I grew up as a Giants fan, and you know, the Giants of my era, it was, it was Johnny LeMaster. You know, it was Mike Ivey. It was Jack Clark, Chili Davis. They didn't win, is what I'm saying. Anna, Stephen, Sean, is there a badge of honor for fans who have who root for and stay with teams that maybe just never break through or when they do like the Mariners did this year as a wild card that just becomes nice. It becomes a special reward that is long overdue. A hundred percent. It's a badge of honor. Like if your team sucks and you stay with them through thick and thin, it's going to feel that much better when they actually win, right? Like it's going to just be such a, an emotional, just, I can't even imagine. Like if I was a big time fan like that, like my buddy is a big Jaguars fan and he's been through the thick and thin with those, mostly just the thin. Like I can't imagine if they're ever any good. Like he'll probably cry when they win something. I waited a long time for the Giants. <laughs> Exactly. I was there on Fan Appreciation Day one year. They lost a, they lost their hundredth game of the season. They Oof. went they went sixty two and one hundred. E. And I was there to see it on Fan <laughs> Appreciation Day. And I was like, thanks for the hundred losses. Uh, Anna, you grew up as a Blazer fan. Yeah, I think there's definitely charm in the same way that conversely, it's annoying when a team starts to do well. And then all of a sudden you see all the bandwagon people, you know, buy stuff. And you you walk around and you're like, oh, look at your brand new hat. That is a newly minted jersey that still has the folds in it from the store you got it from. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations to you for jumping on board. <laughs> Late 70s, early 80s, Giants weren't great. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, Giants won a couple World Series uh, in a three-year stretch not too long ago. And I was down in the Bay Area, and it shocked me to see how many people were wearing Giants stuff. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. I know. So diehard Blazer fans who are out there, like, you know, how would you feel if the Blazers broke through and then suddenly, like, everybody's flying the Blazer flag? Does that bother people? It, it bothers bo me. It doesn't bother me. I, I would feel good because at least I know my team is winning. Like, you talk about fan, like, fan appreciation. I remember being at fan appreciation and getting a high five from Luke Schencher with the Blazers. <laughs> Like, I was there. I, I was a part of it. So, like, it would be awesome to see everyone flying blazer flags and being there, like, just watching everyone join the band. Like, I'm for it. Uh, no, yeah, it would, bother, it would bother me. I think it would bother me most with Oregon. You know, if Oregon football broke through and it's like, you know, that's that's a team that, like, kind of belongs kind of to me in a way. It kind of happened once already. You would just be getting the extra level of it. But if, you know, there was all sorts of bandwagon fans, but then there's just there's that sense of, like, no, this is mine. <laughs> like, this is my enjoyment, you know? Yeah, but Are, aren't most Oregon fans currently bandwagon fans? <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're right. I think you're right at that. <laughs> Yeah. I think there's two different generations, though. There was, like, yes. the like I would go back and go, all right, anybody who was a fan of this team prior to, let's just even say about 1998. Yeah, what is the line of demarcation there? Because I'll even you know? give the Rose Bowl team, like, some people got on the bandwagon after that, but I still think, like, you know, by and large, the Oregon fans who were there in the early to mid-'90s were still kind of true Oregon fans. I think after Fiesta Bowl and certainly Chip Kelly era, it just amplified, accelerated in a way that nobody thought it was going to do. If you don't know about Kenny Wheaton, you're not a true duck fan. <laughs> Everybody was there. It's though. like there should be a litmus test. 
you know, are you a bandwagon fan or are you like a diehard? Let's let's create the test. I was a bandwagon fan in like the early 2010s with Chip Kelly when they were unstoppable. And then that led me to going to school there. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That's how you picked your school. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on the USC so bandwagon Don't say now. athletics don't matter. <laughs> oh, He's going to get his grad degree. That's... You're applying to uh, graduate school at USC now? No, no, no. Let's go Cougars this weekend. You and Caleb going to hang out? <laughs> All right, I want you to leave it here. The 5 at 5 is coming up. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We'll get to the five at five, but I think we have a good topic cooking right now. And when you have something good cooking, you stay with it. I want to ask the audience about this bandwagon thing. If you're a diehard fan of a program or a team that suddenly or maybe after an extended period of time has some success, do you welcome other people onto the bandwagon? Do you look down upon them? If you're, if you're a diehard fan who was with your team and then it... Let's say your team was the Golden State Warriors, and you suffered with them for decades. And then they won it all. And then they had Steph Curry, so they won it all and won it all and won it all and won it all. Does it suddenly become less fun to be a fan? Do you look at it and go, wait a minute, I liked it better when I was rooting for mediocre teams? Too many, too many people on the bandwagon? And to the point of Oregon fans... You know, can you really say that the Oregon fan who has been there, like Sean, who's part of this show for the... Sean, how many years have you rooted for the Ducks, do you think? Uh, probably 2009 was my first year when I was 10 years old. Okay, so Sean was 10, LeGarrette Blunt threw a punch, and he said, Yeah, it's my team. No, it... No, <laughs> that was it one was... of my first memories, yep. <laughs> Sean was rooting for Oregon in 09, like a lot of kids probably who saw him. They were good, they were exciting, they were fun on offense. They were in the cover of Sports Illustrated, all that. And he said, that's my team. Can you really blame that generation of fans for getting excited about what they're seeing? 503-417-7575. I actually don't blame them at all. I mean, I'm a little bit tongue-in-cheek uh, criticizing people who get on a bandwagon because, frankly, you know, I'm that person that just roots for teams from the Northwest to do well regardless because – and again, it comes from growing up in Portland when nobody knew where Portland was. So when our teams, and I mean like Oregon, Oregon State, I'll say the Mariners and the Blazers, when they do well enough to get national attention and get that spotlight and get on that stage, there's a deep-seated feeling inside of me that's like, oh, good, yes, help put Portland on the map. And, and that, I don't think that will ever go away for me. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you're right to not blame people, but I think we can also give them a hard time. Okay, here's an important question. In order to like be a diehard of a college team, do you have to have gone to college there? 
because I feel like what I'm trying to say here is like with the Dolphins, you know, they've had recent success. I'm telling all my friends, get on the Dolphins bandwagon. Like I've told that to Steven. But <laughs> with, the, the, with the Ducks, like the Ducks, just like there's like a more sincere connection to me since I went to school there. It's like yeah. just more a part of me that like if someone just randomly hopped on the bandwagon, I would kind of just look at them funny and be like, what are you doing here? But it's okay for you to get on the Dolphins bandwagon. No, 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 no. I, you know, I can name did you some go, of the quarterbacks. Did you live in Miami? I've never been to Miami. That has nothing to do You've with it. You've never been to a game? My dad, no, I've never do been to a game. Do you have a tattoo, game. a Dolphins tattoo on your Maybe body? Maybe one day. My dad's Instagram handle is Dolphin Fan. Okay, oh. that's so, your dad. We're not yeah, talking about your dad. He passed it down to his kids. Okay. It's an important so, part of our family. <laughs> we had Dolphins memorabilia in the house. And Okay, okay. Oh, so, well, but, I can see that. Big Ace Ventura fan. I, I need to know more about the family history. Where, why did Dad become a Dolphin fan? Well, he grew up in the the heyday of uh, the Miami Dolphins when okay. they were going undefeated. And, you know, I in was the 80s. I was alive then too. I, doesn't I mean not. we we all have to. I be, had a crush on Dan Marino. We all have to be when Dolphin I was little. fans. Yeah, but the Heat weren't a Ladies thing. Out. The Marlins weren't a okay, thing. Okay, but like did your dad all... live in Miami? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. You left that out. Oh, my dad grew up in Miami. I've never been to Miami, unfortunately. But, yeah, so he passed okay. it down to us. But, yeah, what I'm trying to say is it feels a little different with college teams versus pro teams. I'm very welcoming of people hopping on my favorite pro teams bandwagon. But with, like, college teams, mm. I feel like it's a little bit different. Like, you want that person to have gone to school there to be, like, a diehard fan. Would you feel differently if you didn't go to Oregon but you were still an Oregon fan? Yeah, I wouldn't. I feel like I wouldn't have that connection. I, it, my fandom wouldn't be as justified. Okay. How do you feel about that, Stephen? You gotta be gotta go to school somewhere like, to be a fan. No, you don't have to. And I, I think run, I think yeah. especially for college, like a lot of times colleges are in like small towns or like not the biggest cities. So like if you're from Eugene, mm -hmm. like you grew up there, like yeah, you could be a perfectly be a duck fan. Yeah, you don't have to agree. go there. Um, yeah, I don't know because like a lot of my family, uh, they like Oregon State, but they didn't necessarily go to Oregon State. Like my brother likes Oregon, he didn't go to Oregon. So I don't know. I think college is a tough one. I understand the NFL one. Like, you can kind of just hop on anybody because it's all about the players in that situation. But, yeah, I think you kind of have to have some type of relationship with this college team, whether it's, you know, you're from that town or your parents went to that school or something like that. I think something you do, like that. Yeah, I think you have to have some type of relationship. Because I, I have friends from high school who chose to go to different schools, but they still hop on the Ducks bandwagon. And I, like, look at them funny. It's like, yeah, you're not all dirt for the Ducks. 503-417-7575. Where do you stand on this conundrum? I have, uh, I'll point out something that's kind of interesting. Okay, so, you know, I've worked at a bunch of different newspapers. Mm -hmm. So I've seen this. Like, I draw, I parachute in, I go to work in, you know, Indiana, covering Indiana basketball for a season. I cover Purdue football for a season. I cover Notre Dame football for a season. Um, I'm in Tallahassee, Florida. I'm around Florida State for about six months, maybe. Then I'm covering uh, Jerry Tarkanian and Fresno State. And then I'm covering the Niners and the Raiders and the A's and the Giants and the Bay Area, then the Blazers, Ducks, Beavers, whatever. Okay? My parents root for the teams that I cover. <laughs> They've it's never true. been to Indiana. Yeah. They, when I was covering Purdue, yeah. they were rooting for Purdue. <laughs> when I was covering Indiana, they would tune in and watch an Indiana basketball game. When I was in Fresno, like, I didn't even really like, like, a lot of the characters that are around the teams at yeah, Fresno. It was kind of a... salty. It was a dicey era. Yeah. But my parents would be like, oh, they won. <laughs> and my parents would, like, they'd go to a bowl game. My parents would go to the bowl game. They're so cute, though, because they're just trying to have a connection with yeah, you. Yeah, couldn't it really? be because they're not from the area? Because, like, when I worked for the Blazers, my dad still hated the Blazers because they suck. So it's like, he was still <laughs> mad at them. Yeah. But, but I... <laughs> but for my parents... 
Like, I just think it's interesting. I've never tried to deter them, but my parents will just root for, they'll root for the Beavers. Like, if the Beavers go to a bowl game, my parents are are liable to show up. But they've also, they, they, they went, went to, the, to the Ducks they went Rose, to the Rose Bowl, bowl. Game. They yes. went to the Ducks went to the Rose Bowl. Yes. My parents are there. <laughs> <laughs> but they feel connected to it somehow because they're probably reading about it. You know, and I'm, yeah. or they're tuning into the radio show. Mike's in Portland. Mike, tell us, help us out. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I do have an opinion on this. So I went to Oregon State, graduated, moved to Seattle for a couple of decades. So I was surrounded by Husky fans, had some good Husky fan friends, many of which went to school there, and some were die-hard Husky fans but did not go to school there, okay? And they would be offended if I would ever give them a bad time about the fact they didn't go to school there, they're these rabid fans, and so I backed off that whole thing. My issue was, my issue with it, I'm all for that, yes, be a, be a fan, root for who you want to, whatever school you want to, there's usually some sort of connection, but if you didn't go to school there, you can't have the arrogance to look down on, for the Beavers, the Huskies, these Husky fans, nobody, you can't look down and be arrogant about your, about your team, your college, if you didn't play there or go or go to school there, that's my take. So you have to have a connection, a direct physical connection. Like you had I, to have gone there. Let's go. To, let's get another take on this, David and Tigerd. David, where do you stand? Well, I'm a. Uh, I got to go to a, a duck game fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, and I'm fifty three. And I fell in love going to the game. I didn't go to the school there the last 15 years. I've been a season ticket holder, and it's it's awesome. I love you're, going. Yeah, I'm a Ducks fan. I root for Oregon State every game except for one. But yeah, yeah I'm a Ducks okay. fan. That's interesting. So you just you sort of caught it like you'd catch a bug, and you're yeah. like, I'm happy to be infected with this, and I'm buying season tickets. And you know what? I bet they're happy to have you there. Yeah, and I've been like I said, Austin. It's like going to a rock concert. It's just so much fun. It's a blast. We got it's yeah, super fun. Interesting. I think that like look like if Oregon or Oregon State, they I know they listen to the show because they'll I get feedback from them occasionally. But if they're listening, I bet you their stance is, hey, if you went to school here, great. And if you didn't, and you like what you see, great. Because we need you in the stadium. Like, everybody <laughs> wants the tickets. You know, they want people in the stadium. Right? Dave's in Vancouver. Where does Dave stand on this topic? Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so I'm a lifelong uh, LA Rams fan. And St. Louis. Okay. But when I was, like, a five-year-old kid, there's no Seahawks. I've lived in Vancouver my entire life. And I remember my dad asking me, like, what's your favorite team? And I, I swear, he opened the Sears catalog to like the the jersey yes. page. I know that and page. I thought, yeah, you do. You just talked about it the other day. Yeah. Uh, yes. Go on. He, uh, I thought the Rams had the coolest looking helmet, mm. and I picked the Rams. We went to uh, two years later. We went to Minnesota on a trip because my mom's from there. And she tried to convert me to the Vikings, and I couldn't do it. And then the Seahawks came along, and I just couldn't do it. And I'm still a Rams fan. Yep. And you, and I love it. There you go. But we stink this year. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're stupid Niners. I know. Anyway. 
I, like, I don't think the Niners are that good. I think the Rams are just struggling. I, I agree with Dave because, you know, the Cowboys, when they won their first Super Bowl in 93, uh, I was five turning six, and I remember saying to my brother, I said, I'm gonna, my favorite team is either going to be the Cowboys or the Bills, whoever wins the Super Bowl, and the Cowboys won. So then I was a Cowboys fan for a while until I realized I didn't like any of their players. So I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem I've always had is when you you have a – we all have a friend who's like this. We all have a friend who's like a Yankees fan, a Dallas Cowboys fan, a Warriors fan, Lakers, Warriors, yep. Lakers, whatever. Like they just they like they pick the winner, the front runner. They're they're front, the front runner people. Yeah. Yes. I got I love my grandfather. Okay, my Italian grandfather. Love him. <laughs> love him. Love him. But but he liked a winner. Okay. <laughs> I could see that. He when the Steelers were like Super Bowl champions in the seventies, whatever. Yeah. He was a Steelers fan. <laughs> And he loved the Yankees, but he grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, after his parents immigrated, he was in suburban Pittsburgh. He should have been a Pirates fan, mm -hmm. but he was a Yankees fan. He was a Steelers fan. And then later when the Niners got good, he rooted for the Niners. Like <laughs> my grandfather liked a winner and we always gave him a hard time about it. Yeah. We're like, Hey, I thought the Steelers were your team. You know, like he's rooting for the Niners. Oh, they're no good this year. Well, you know, but when he, in golf, there's no, you know, there's no greater example of this, though, by than people rooting for golfers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nobody likes to root for the golfer that's in, like, 58th place. Yeah. Everybody's picking the guy who's, you know, and somebody in the top five. Who's your guy? It's somebody on the top of the leaderboard. And guess what? You switch it all the time. I hear you. But I, I have friends who be like, Rory McIlroy's my guy and, you know, not winning this week. Well, now I'm Dustin Johnson. Would we be happier as a fan if we did that, what your grandpa did, and just chose the winners, though? <laughs> he because was happy. Because we get so emotionally attached to these teams, and it's like, oh, I hate what the Blazers are doing. I'm just going to start rooting for the Warriors, and they win a championship. Maybe I yeah. should do that. He, he was one of these guys that he had to like what he was seeing to get mm -hmm. on board with it. <laughs> so, But uh, I, I love him, but I often gave him a hard time going, wait a minute. Who's your team now? This year, who's your team? Steve's in Portland. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I grew up in California, <clears throat> was a fan of Stanford and L.A. back in those days. Um, and I ended up playing baseball at San Jose State, um, but they were never great in football, at least when I was there. So we moved up to Oregon in 2005, and we were just following local stuff, listening to the radio and watching sports. And, you know, the Ducks were fun to watch with Chip Kelly and yep. and stuff. And <clears throat> at that time, the, the Beavers were good, too, with uh, the Rogers brothers and things. But... Um, so we kind of just adapted, <clears throat> adopted like the Ducks as, you know, our football team just because it was a fun, fast-paced offense at the time. And What uh, years What years know. were you at San Jose State? Uh, 97, 98. Okay, so you missed. You, you, did you catch Jeff Garcia? Was he there then? Or no, I'm he? a little younger than that. And then they were Marcus Arroyo? Marcus Arroyo at quarterback. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting connection because – there's always things like that. And then, you know, four years ago, we came to our first Ducks game, my son and I. Um, they play, play in Stanford. The Ducks were up 31-7, to and that's the, the game they lost in overtime with yeah. Herbert, the ball going over Herbert's head. And, and, you know, growing up a Stanford fan, I was pissed at the Ducks losing that day and stuff. So. Yep. Um, but, frankly, being up here, it's been, it's been fun to go out. And we've been to Beavers games and both baseball and football, and deck yeah. games the same. So I, I still have, you know, I appreciate that, but I still have, res I have great respect for the fans who like stick it out. 
Yeah. Like the Beaver fans who have been there at Reeser Stadium for the last six or seven years, much respect. And even the Oregon fans who, like, you know, it was a blip, but Helfrich Taggart, that little run, it wasn't glamorous, you know? Even though they had some players, it wasn't glamorous. Yeah, but they still had the uniforms. They did have the uniforms. <laughs> I want more of your calls. Have two lines open, 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Full disclosure, I will ask Jonathan Smith all about this. He grew up a fan of the Dodgers and USC football, as I recall. But I want to know, uh, you know, what goes into being a sports fan, a diehard sports fan? Do you have respect for the fans who stay with the teams that are losing teams? Do you uh, are you allowed to pick teams in other markets if you've never even visited there? Or do you need a family member to have introduced you to fandom, or how does that work in your mind? Caesar is in Southern Oregon. Caesar, I appreciate you listening to the show. What's up, man? Oh, I'm just saying, man. You know, I live in rural Oregon, Southern Oregon. You're either a beaver or a duck, you know what I mean? So sometimes you don't got to go to college, you know, might not be able to make it there, you know, get the grades there, but you got to choose one, you know. You can't be a Husky if you're from Oregon. You got to have some pride in your state. So, you know, you're either a beaver or a duck. I'm a duck. I got some ugly O on the back of my neck, but, you know, we'll be there for Utah. So, you know, that's all I got to say. Yeah, you're going to the Utah-Oregon game. There it is. Caesar's in. He's all in. How about Jog? Jog is in Beaverton. Is it John or Jog? Jog. Jog, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm a duck that's 53. Okay. And I like having all the fans, the experts. If you're just going to come on, it's a lot of fun going to a full stadium instead of a half stadium. So you don't mind the like if like a lot of duck fans will go, hey, new duck fan, old duck fan, you're just happy everyone's there. Yes, I just you know uh, it's the atmosphere is so much better when you got a full house. Yeah, you like that. You like the crowd atmosphere as much as anything. I like that. I appreciate that from Jog. All right, let's go to David in Vancouver. David, who are you rooting for? What's your team, and where do you stand on this? Uh, Detroit Tigers. You've been a fan uh, since 1984 or before then? Uh, 157. So uh, I was a fan in um, 73, I think. Okay, okay. I played You're t-ball, in. So I played T-ball and had a hat. And, you know, the D, D on the hat's really cool, like Thomas Magnum. You've heard of that guy? Yeah. Magnum P.I. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, I like the picture of uh, Ty Cobb. And I think that Fancy D did it for me. But I'm a fifth-generation Seattleite, so uh, um, I'm a transplant down here. But uh, I don't really like – I'm a bandwagon fan for all the Seattle teams, except for the Sonics. Yeah, I had a friend – I grew up with a friend who was a diehard Detroit Tigers fan. Like, we played wiffle ball. Every time I hit a ground ball in wiffle ball, he would go, Trammel to Whitaker. Um, and I love the Detroit Tigers hat. Like, I was a Giants fan through and through. 
but I owned a Detroit Tigers hat. Can you do that, Stephen? Is that poor form to wear another team's hat just because you like it? No, and I think especially for baseball because baseball has you know great hats and so yeah. much history with that. I think I think unless it's a Yankees hat, I think that's the only one you really can't do. Yeah, right. Like if you're a fan of a team, you can't go Yankees hat. And when I was wearing the Tigers hat, they were not good by the time I was wearing it. But I I liked it because you know it was a cool looking hat, very simple, simple hat with the D. Chris is in Vancouver. Chris, help us out. Yeah, how's it going, guys? Uh, well. So I am a Ducks fan, been a Ducks fan for a while. Got a chance to go to Austin on my 18th birthday. Uh, crazy atmosphere there. Uh, but, yeah, definitely a lot of respect for fans who, who stick it out with bad teams. I mean, grew up in Vancouver in Battleground, so definitely a, a lifelong Seahawks fan. Uh, do better or worse to the, the Rick Meyer, the John Kidna, uh, all of that, where you're throwing more to the other team than your own. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely much respect. I I always kind of pull for the Bees and, and all the other Pac-12 teams do well unless they're playing the Duckies. So, a yeah. uh, lot of respect for those fans who've gone through those, uh, those paper bag-worthy years and still stand behind their guys. Yeah, I think there should be some kind of patch you get if you've been with a team through like a dismal season that, you know, everybody's wearing the gear later, but people can look at the button or the patch that you have and go, oh, that guy was here. He was here when they were bad. Uh, Brandon is in Eugene listening on the great Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Brandon. The only thing that matters is that whoever you pick, for whatever reason, you have to stick with them until you die and beyond, Ooh. actually. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, tell me, tell me about this beyond part. Like you got it. You so you're with this team, and it's eternity. Yes, absolutely. I'm born and raised in Eugene. Went to tons of duck games. Went to Oregon State for my degree. Ooh, great okay. school. I had a great time there. I'd wear duck gear in secret under my coat. I'm not stupid. Uh, doesn't matter. Duck fan <laughs> only. No beaver. No. Nope. So you, you root- got to do it. You, even though you went to Oregon State, you root for Oregon. Absolutely. That is complicated. I used man. him for I used him to get a degree, get my career going, and then dispose of them. If they had been better in the time you were there, would that have changed something for you? No, of course not. So you picked your team at young age, and even uh-huh, though you went uh-huh. to Oregon State, you're still. Technically, if you had to pick, you you put on the duck colors and you sit on their side of the stadium. Yes, yes, and I do pick, and that's what I do. Yes, that's what wow. you got to do. That's loyalty. Do do your Oregon State classmates get mad at you? Shake their head at you? What do they What do they do with you? Uh, it's a mix. There are others that are like me who uh, are duck fans, went to OSU, but they uh, are the same. And there's others that. Uh, look down on me, but it doesn't matter when uh, you just tell them scoreboard most years. <laughs> Brandon and Eugene. I find that one complicated. Like, I get the people who didn't go to school somewhere going, hey, that's my team, I'm into it. And look, I, I might be the last person to judge you, but I, I did like his point about when you pick, you got to pick. But, guys, he went to Oregon State. And he still roots for Oregon. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one because you know I have friends that were Duck fans growing up, and then they went to Oregon State, and now they're diehard Oregon State fans, or vice versa. So 
Yo, that is uh, that is a strong-willed man, so I can, I can respect that, though. Yeah, maybe, like, or- Oregon State had the degree he wanted. You know, like, Oregon State's got the engineering going for them. Oregon doesn't yet. I feel like I have to take one more call. Let's go to Fred in Portland. Fred, what do you got? I grew up in uh, on the Oregon coast, and uh, at the time there was this quarterback named Fran Tarkenton, and I just loved him, so I started following the Vikings. Wow. And um, ended up marrying a girl from Minnesota, and so that That's loyalty. made the bond a little bit tighter. But here's, here's how dedicated, diehard of a fan I am. I've actually contacted the Vikings. I'm still waiting to hear back from them, but I want... I want to arrange to have six Viking players be my pallbearers so they can let me down one more time before I <laughs> die. I love that. All right, one more time. He wants to be let down. Fred in Portland. That's a good place to stop. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, is next. I'm going to ask him about his rooting alliances. Plus, who's starting a quarterback for the Beavers on Saturday? I'll ask. Let's see what he says. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think Oregon State's doing a lot of good things on the field. I think their defense is dramatically improved. I think they're finding their way on the offensive line, their run game. Uh, they've had some struggles at the quarterback position. They will play at Stanford this Saturday night, 8 o'clock kickoff. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach, joining us now. Uh, I'm not going to ask you about the 8 o'clock kickoff. I want to ask you about being a sports fan. We've been talking about this, debating this on the show today. How you doing, by the way? Yeah, I'm doing solid. Looking forward to this question, being a sports fan. Like okay. You. You're a sports fan. You grew up rooting for the Dodgers. You, uh, you, uh, you were a USC fan. or Who was your NFL team? Yeah, it's kind of back and forth. My, my, when I was young, San Francisco 49ers, Joe Montana and all that. Okay. But, yep, the, they were that. Can, can, as a sports fan, do you have more respect for fans who, like, stay with teams that are losing teams? Like, Mariners fans have been there forever. Now they get to the playoffs. Can you switch your allegiance? What do you think about fans that suddenly become Mariners fans because they're in the playoffs? Do you have a take on that? Yeah, I'm definitely with the fans that stick with their, you know, their team, especially from where where they grew up from, even if they move around the country, sticking with their team. I, I, I get it. You know, you, you got some type of insight. Uh, someone gets good and you know someone on the team or some circumstance, but I'm with the, the true fan is those that have been decades long sticking with sticking with one team. I grew, I grew up as a Giants fan, and my teams were not good when I was a kid, but I was a fan. And then when they won World Series later, I looked around, everybody's wearing a Giants hat. Everybody's wearing a jacket. I was like, well, where, did you, where, where were you? Yeah, yeah, that happens, you know, but I, the true fulfillment of those that have stuck the long, the long, long term and then obviously be able to celebrate in a big way when they do win the World Series. All right, so when you arrived at Oregon State, there were some of those diehards in Research Stadium. And you probably looked around on game day and thought, you know, you could probably see some individual faces at different times. Do you still see some of those same people who were there in the beginning now that you are, you know, selling out what you have in, in the stadium and you've got some momentum? No, well, 100%. We see some of them that have been, been here a long time, supporting a long time, season ticket holder for multiple decades. Uh, you definitely appreciate them. 
in a, in a big way. We definitely appreciate those that have come on the last couple of years. Uh, but I think it means something for those that have, that have stuck around the place and been committed to the place for a long time. What do people say? What's that marker that they use? Do they go, hey, I was there when what? Fill in the blank. Yeah, 100%. I, well, I get a lot of the, you know, I was there and went to the Fiesta Bowl in 2001, and I appreciate those people, and it's a great memory of, of that. I've heard a couple of them, like, even with the new you know, new stadium getting built, and, well, we've had season tickets on the west side since 1974, and, and, and that, I definitely appreciate those people. You should hug those people. Uh, Jonathan Smith is with us, Oregon State coach. Uh, look, everybody wants to know about the quarterback. Uh, I, Chance's neck, his health. Is he healthy enough to practice? He's working through it. Yep, he's not going full, but he's he's working through it, and we still got a few more days here. Uh, you know, he's just got a lot of banked reps over the last couple of years, and so no, no question, he's not getting all of the reps. Um, but he's working through it, and we'll, and we'll make a make a call closer to game time. I think it was a tough two game stretch, but he, I saw his confidence a little bit rattled, and it surprised me because I I had seen him look like he was confident and steady and you know psychologically what could you do to help a guy that may be struggling a little bit with decisions and and pressing a little bit yeah that stuff's not easy i mean i played that position this position at quarterback maybe the most you know high scrutinized position in all the sports um and so yeah he was battling through some things again i don't think it was completely on him there's some things we could have tightened up and route running and protection i'm going back to just the last two games and obviously we turned the ball over too much um but that's not easy this isn't for the lighthearted man you want to play quarterback and and play against a really good team especially last week on the road in a hostile place um and so you just keep coaching him keep uh, making sure he's remembering all the success and positive plays he's had some things that we can improve he's got an opportunity to clean up some things and we've got a lot of football left I know that as a play caller in offense, you don't want to be one-dimensional, but it looked like when you guys really committed and maybe that second series of the game to go, hey, we're going to run the ball here, you had some success there. Uh, how tempted are you to kind of stick with that, or why do you need to kind of balance out the pass game as the defense adjusts there? Yeah, it's always a, it's a balancing act. I mean, you go into a game with what you think, is going to play out and trying to be aggressive. We need to you know, create some explosive plays because it's hard to, especially against that defense, to go 10, 12 plays at a time, executing like that to, to score. And so you're going to work to mix it. And then, yeah, the, the way the thing goes, and you're trying to mix it and right throwing it, and then you turn the thing over and you lose a little confidence. And at the same time, uh, you can't just not throw the ball the rest of the game. Uh, and so I've been in that seat, and it's not easy. Um, but we got to make sure that we've got some balance. At the same time, we're doing doing what the plays that give us the best chance to win the game. What's the, how should I classify? Like, if I'm going to tweet, Jonathan Smith said Chance Nolan. It, was he limited? Is he um, still has some work to go? Like, wh- how how should I tweet that? Well, I think it's both. I mean, he's been limited. He's got to continue to progress over the next couple of days to get to the point where you know he's cleared and, and gives us the best chance to win. Your uh, defense is playing well. What are you seeing out there? Well, I think they're playing with some effort, um, and, and they're doing their assignments in regards to playing 11-man uh, football defensively. Uh, we we still got plenty we can we can grow in that area. The way they the quarterback ran the ball, we wanted it to, to limit that. He we didn't in in ways 
the guy rushed for a bunch of yards. He was too comfortable in the pocket, and so he completed a lot of balls and ended up and create a havoc around him that way. I do think we did a great job in their traditional run game when they handed the ball to the back. We were there and, and going. Um, and, again, it's easy to talk about. we got to create some turnovers type thing, but I don't need – all of a sudden now, just because we need some turnover defense, you know, particular players trying to do more than just their job. Those things will come if we're doing our job in a physical way. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, is with us. Um, you know, the, I, I, I talked to your guys, and we've had, you know, both uh, Jack Coletto and Jaden Grant on in the last week, and I said to him, you know, somebody's getting to Vegas with two or three losses. So This is the kind of conference where that's going to happen. Do you preach that, or do you have to preach that, or do you just go right back to, hey, want to know this week mindset uh, coming out of a loss? Yeah, I, I do. We do focus on the week at hand, and that's the only thing we can control is the, the prep we do, and then we get one chance to play a game this Saturday. Who knows what it's going to look like in October, November, injuries, upsets. We don't control all that stuff. And so what we control is this week we got to find a way to, you know, Get a win on the road, which is not going to be easy. That's got our complete attention. What What do you see when you look at Stanford on the field? When you see tape, I think that uh, I think they're similar in regards to what they've experienced and we have. They've played SC. We played SC. Both of us lost. They've gone on the road back to back. Tough places: Husky Stadium, Austin Stadium. Those places, those are good teams, and it's not easy to play. And they've lost. We We went on the road to Utah. Tough place to play. Good team, and we've lost. So I think we're really similar trying to uh, to figure some things out. What are we exactly? They've had the turnover problem just like we had. Um, and that's why I'm back to I think this is going to be a, a four-quarter battle. You know, it's. I think a football season is fun. There's rhythm to it. Uh, you obviously didn't get the result you wanted in the last two weeks. It, you know, is how important is it for you guys not just to win, but for you guys to start fast, play well? I mean, I think all of these things are things you probably think about as you're flying back from a road game. Yeah, yeah, you know, you do, and then you always want to start fast. Every team wants to start fast, but ultimately you win the game in the fourth quarter. So whether even if you did start fast and you got a little bit of the lead, this thing is a long game. you got to be able to finish games and play well for a long period of time, whether it's not just about the first quarter. It's about from the first to the second, third, and then obviously finishing the fourth. And, and those are the best teams that are able to do that, and we're going to need to do that um, do this week and really each week. Yeah, I you know the receiving core. I thought you had, you guys had some nice moments in there, and you did some nice things, creative things. The reverse, uh, obviously, was a big play for you guys early. Are you happy with what you're getting out of that group? You know, I think you know solid in some ways. We got to continue to be more consistent. Uh, we did have a few explosive plays. We had a few guys open. We missed a couple of times. We got to catch catch the ball more consistently than we have because it would be a nice compliment to a run game that I think we can establish and be productive with. But I just think for the type of points we need to score, we gotta, we got to hit down the field, and we've done some of that this year, and we've missed on a few. And, and so we want to be playing complimentary football on the offensive side. Dodgers are sitting on 111 wins. They, uh, they will get to sit and wait in the playoffs, but – how tuned in are you, you know, do you allow yourself to get, you know, is it a nice diversion to kind of check on the playoffs as, you know, September turns to October? Yeah, it, it's been a nice diversion. I haven't watched as much as, you know, during the summertime I did. 
Um, I was just talking to Scheffler about it. You know, we got to buy more or less the first round and waiting on the Padres and the Mets. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I mean, you, yeah. baseball, you play 162 or whatever games. And then to take a little bit of a break, I don't know if that gets us out of our rhythm. I'm still pretty confident. Home field advantage throughout, you know, Schmezer being Dodger Stadium. Uh, someone's got to beat us in that place. Um, I know I will be tuning in as much as I can on those games. Who scares you more, Padres or Mets? Who scares you? Yeah, that's funny. I asked my son the same thing. He he thinks, you know, the Mets. I'm like, the Padres got some pitching. I know what's-his-face is out for 80 games or whatever that is, but yeah. the Padres make me nervous, man. You know, just local, a little bit of rivalry built now. Um, I mean, whoever shows up, whatever, we're, we're going to be fine. You know, uh, the Giants did something amazing this season. Like, never before in their history had they been 81-81. and 81. So, perfect, yeah, right. perfect 500. It's hard yeah, to do. I can't say I've been following the Giants the last <laughs> month and a half. Be honest with you. Only 30 games behind you, okay? Don't, yeah. don't worry about us. All right, listen, go beat Stanford. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate you coming on the show. You got it, John. I appreciate it. All right, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Dodger fan. Uh, I heard him in there. He said he's rooted for the Niners for a little bit. You guys catch that? Catch that little Niner thing? I heard that. He's got a little bit like my grandpa there. Dodgers. Then the Niners were real good. I didn't hear him talking about, like, the Raiders of L.A. or the Rams or anybody like that. But uh, he rooted for USC, rooted for the Dodgers. Then he picked up the Niners when Joe Montana was around. Very interesting. I'll take more of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson coming up top of the hour. How's he feeling about the Atlanta Braves? Peter Sampson. You know what's that? You know he's not coming up. Peter Sampson's not coming up next. I thought he was coming up next. Bad info? is a little different. That's on me. I got some bad info. No, uh, no, it's not on you. No, I I I need to take that one out when he's not on. No, oh. I, I I failed. I failed on the big leagues. Man, you're going back to the minors. Sorry, America. <laughs> going back to AAA. Sorry, America. Uh, I think every once in a while, though, like, you know, it, Ted Williams hit 406, okay? You know, that's that's less than half the time. Yeah, I'm going gra- to ground out one of these times. Just you ground it out. It's okay. It happens. Uh, let's take a call from Texas. Why not? America is listening to this show. Uh, let's go to Derek Garrett, who's in Texas. Derek Garrett, welcome. I don't know why I'm having a hard time with Garrett. Go ahead, Garrett. Garrett, I'm actually in Portland. I'm from Texas, though. Okay. Where in Texas? But yeah, kind of. Uh, so I was going to say that my aunt went to TCU, and so my dad uh, took me there when I was little. And the stadium looked like a coliseum to me. And just the pageantry and everything – I just love TCU, and I bleed TCU. I never went there. My dad didn't go, but little family relations help a lot. And it's just kind of a thing that happens. I don't know why people have a hard time with understanding how if you like a team, you do like that team, and there's nothing you can do about it. Do do people give you a hard time? Not necessarily. 
Uh, well, from Texas, yeah, they everyone wants you to root for Texas. And my aunts, you know, family members, they 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 love Texas. Okay, the UT all the way. I think you're hitting yeah. on something that I want to talk about here. See, there's a fine line between discouraging bandwagon fans and I think the poor form that is gatekeeping fandoms. The difference being, like, if somebody is late to the party, I think it's okay to rib them about, hey, man, that's a brand-new Mariners hat you're wearing. Where were you five years ago when this team was garbage and nobody was paying attention to them? You know, make fun of them, but they're still in the bandwagon. But I also think you got to be careful not to gatekeep. Like who? It's whose job is it anyway? Yeah, because it's your like, job. How many years do you have to go through pain and suffering? Yeah, and and why is it somebody's job to tell other people who they should be, you know, what they should like? No, we don't do this in anything else. Like I saw one of the Seattle news stations did or, or media outlets did a funny bit where they went outside the stadium in seattle is it t-mobile still or what are they calling it now oh uh, yeah t-mobile park okay t-mobile park they're outside t-mobile park they're interviewing fans mariners fans on video and they're asking them you know tell us about your favorite mariner player from like the last you know 10 year plus years ago and the people are they don't know any of the mariners players so they're fairly new mariners fans that are at the stadium they're making fun of them and i think that's okay but it's a little bit like like if you put me outside a concert, like arena. Like you put me outside Moda Center when the Backstreet Boys were in town. You know, and I want to go to the, see the Backstreet Boys. I went with, like I couldn't have named, you know, more than I want it my, my way or I want it that way. I, I couldn't have named another song. Like does that make me, a I, like I'm not supposed to be in the arena. I'm not supposed to go listen to the concert. It's I want it that way, by the way. Okay, there you go. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Am I still okay to go to the concert? Favorite Mariner from uh, back in the day, Kimji Jojima, the Kimji Jojima guy. You are, see? <laughs> I used to, like, my favorite players would be, like, baseball card related. Like, the Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians, had a player named Ross Grimsley. He had a big kind of hairdo, and he it stuck out all over his hat. I thought it was the funniest thing as a kid. I'll never forget Ross Grimsley on like a 1982 Topps baseball card. Um, but I, I just feel like sometimes we get a little snobby with this. And, I'll, you know, and I think it's okay if somebody wants to root for Oregon or Oregon State because they're good all of a sudden. I think that's okay. But I also think if you're somebody who's late to the party and you're just showing up and you've got a brand new T-shirt on and a brand new hat on, and you don't know anything about the history of the team, you should expect to take some ribbing. Yeah, I agree. Like, like Take some ribbing. And it's one of those things where hopefully, you know, that brand-new fan, they see you as a diehard fan, and then they will eventually be that diehard fan who then is now ribbing the new fans, you know, 30 years later, right? Yes. Like it's a vicious cycle. Because I think a lot of what attracts people to teams is success. Like, you know, very few people probably, you know, back in the day, looked over at, like, the New Orleans Pelicans and went, you know what? They're bad. They're in the lottery every year. But, man, I really love this team. And I love this franchise. I want to be part of it. And i got to get a Pelicans jersey. And i got to get a Pelicans baseball cap. And that's going to be my team. No, that's not how it happens. It's, it is success. And I think there are Warriors fans all over the country because the Warriors have been really, really good. And there's Laker fans all over the country because, you know, you – 
I mean, the Lakers come to Portland, and what happens? Like a third of the arena is decked out in Laker gear. And it's because they were good. So people are drawn to success. I think it's part of why people pick teams. Sean is in Sandy. Let's get some clarity here. Sean, go ahead. Hey, I agree, John. You know, when your team does well and it goes to the playoffs and makes a bowl game, you go down and get a new hat. You know, like when the Ducks do well and they go to a good bowl game, I go down to the Ducks store and get a new hat. And uh, I love uh, going to, you know, baseball promotions. And I got a story about how the first time I'm a baldy like you are, and the first time I shaved my head was a Jay Buhner day. And every person who showed up to Kingdom and got their head shaved there or showed up bald got in free. Nice. And uh, me and a bunch of buddies just loaded up and went up there as a bunch of baldies. I love that. See? Wanted to shave his head and get into a park. It's a good story. But, look, um, you know, a lot of teams do promotions, especially late in the year, because they're, they know they're not drawing, and they're, they're going, hey, we got empty seats. Might as well get some people in here. Maybe they'll get excited. Maybe they'll buy something. Maybe they'll pay to park. Uh, I do remember, I'm going to say circa 1983 or so, maybe a little, maybe 81, 82, 83, right in there. Uh, I was listening to KNBR in San Francisco. Uh, KNBR 68. It was the Giants flagship station. That was my thing. I would sit and listen to the radio at night, and you know, I'd, the lights would be off, but I had my transistor radio on in my room, and my parents didn't hear it, and whatever. I'd be listening to the post-game show of the Giants. I've told this story before, or uh, talked about this, but one of the thing, one of the commercials came on, and it was um, it was TWA Airlines, no longer in existence. And the, com- the, the contest was, can you name 10 places that TWA flies? And in the commercial, they gave you the answer. Like they would go, like St. Louis, L.A., San Diego, Cleveland, Miami, Dallas. They would just go through. They would name all the places they fly. And then the contest came on and it said, if you write down the 10 places that TWA flies and send it to this address, you will win 10 free tickets to see the Giants play. Well, I did it. I sent it in. They sent me back the tickets. Problem was, it was a weeknight game, and I was like in the fourth grade, and, and it was in San Francisco. So it was like an episode of Cocoon, the movie, turned into baseball. It was my grandfather and like seven of his senior citizen friends and me, and my dad went to go see a Giants game. I'll never forget it. It was one of the best memories I ever had going to the stadium. Team was bad. Candlestick Park was empty. But I was there having a good time with Wilford Brimley and my grandfather's friends. So it was a good time. We're back tomorrow with another great show. We'll give you our picks in the Pac-12 games on tomorrow's show. we got great guests tomorrow like Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain, among others.